Thursday, September the 21st. Time to talk NFL Week 3 and some weekend racing on another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have our NFL Week 3 game previews with Eric. We'll go through all 16 games coming up for NFL Week 3. Then we get into Friday Woodbine, the early pick five. We'll preview that thing. We head to Saturday for Parks. Barry Spears joins me. We get through races 10 through 13. We also share best bets on the card, and we talk about it from a stable duel standpoint. It's this week in stable duel, Pennsylvania Derby Day over at Parks. We talk the PA Derby, the Cotillion, all the big stakes races, and then a couple others on the undercard where we share our best bets. And we're only giving out 5-1 to one and up. It's the no chalk zone. Saturday, Woodbine early pick five. We'll also have that for you. And I was going to get into wrestling with uh, uh, this week. Chad wasn't going to be able to join me, so I was going to do the segment myself. And you know what? I was a little bummed out today because as, as I was getting ready to record, there just were more and more releases from WWE. Dolph Ziggler, Shelton Benjamin, Mustafa Ali, Aaliyah, Topdala, Elias, all out. Apparently a lot more and probably more that we haven't even heard of yet. So what I wanted to do is I figured I'd wait. There's no big pay-per-views or anything this weekend. Chad and I will catch up on everything next week. We'll double up on this week in wrestling. So let's uh, let's dive on in to NFL Week 3. Remember, this episode is presented by our full-service realtor friend, Cindy Carava. She can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help you out with lenders if you need help with uh, the home loan process or if you need help with improving your home, she can connect you with the right type of vendors. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. We are going to dive into all 16 of your NFL Week 3 games. A little more information now as all of these teams have played twice. A couple big picture things to talk about before we start getting into our game-by-game previews. We are recording this on Wednesday night. Now, as the season starts to go on a little bit more, we will probably have a lot of times on Wednesday night where we don't know exactly 100% if someone's going to play or not, injury, things like that, lines might move. What's nice about that is Eric and I have a couple different shows throughout the week at different points of the week, so we'll always be able to give you the best information we have as soon as we have it. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or early Thursday, We have a show on Friday, Friday evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on social media. It's at DRF Sportsbook. We give out our best bets for the weekend, and then we give out college football plays. Then Sunday morning, we have the NFL Betting Blitz show where we go over every single game for Sunday. We talk about all the up-to-date lines, the last-minute fantasy stuff, and we're actually able to really, really give you more DFS and prop advice. So keep that in mind. As we have a couple different places throughout the week where you can join us, uh, Eric also has a couple different podcasts uh, on Tuesday and then again on Friday. So, so much football content, buddy, all throughout the year. How's it been going for you the the first uh, two weeks in? You know, positive on the sports betting, up in my DFS stuff, and I'm one and one across my three leagues in, in season one. So, pretty good start. Um, you know, pretty. Pretty good. Like the positions I'm in in all my fantasy leagues and making money, so it's good. Uh, a little disappointing. I'm a huge Nick Chubb guy. He's my favorite. Oh, player. man, that was a bummer. Um, that was a bummer. And the thing that sucks is, like, there's some people that play NFL they are just, like, scummy people. He's, like, legitimately, like, one of the good ones. He just kind of keeps – You never hear him say a word. 
Nothing. There was that video that was going around a couple years ago when it was him and um, like I think it was Beckham or somebody was like, I want a touchdown. He was just like, I just want to win. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, this is the same knee that he hurt in college. Uh, he may just be able to come that. back. You know, I don't know if he does in what capacity. Uh, and it probably cost him his chance at the Hall of Fame, too. So kind of a little sombering news on Monday. Um, you know, I will be honest. As soon as it happened, I kind of turned off the game. So, yeah, it is hard to get um, interested in something like that, especially like you said, with a player like him, who's always been just seemingly such a good, good guy on and off the field. So. Eric, now as we get into week three, we're going to look at the betting lines over at DRF Sportsbook. We encourage any of you in the state of Iowa, that's where they have Sportsbook up and running right now. Make sure to sign up for an account. Use our promo code FAST350. It'll get you a $350 uh, sign-up bonus. So anywhere in the state of Iowa, let your friends, let your family members know. Sign up. Use that promo code. It'll get you the bonus. We're going to look at the lines there. And Eric, we're going to look this week. We got already three double-digit lines. Vegas ain't waiting long this year before they're pumping up the big numbers, huh? Normally, we don't start to see the 10s and the 12s start to show up till, I don't know, week six, seven, a little later in the year. But we got them already in week three. Tricky week. A lot of big numbers out there. Obviously, I tread lightly. Uh, yeah. I talked to my friend who manages a sports book. He's like, this is our worst start to the season in terms of what he, he goes, a lot of public dogs, no public bets are winning. Uh, he said like last week was brutal for us with the 49ers bills. And there was one other big one, all winning Cowboys. Uh, and then the Cowboys, he goes, those three, we had money line parlays all the way around. And then the dolphins winning and covering on the, uh, on the nightcap. It's kind of weird. Like football is really the football is so heavily bet on. Um, like there's not as much public money added all up. It gets pretty close to sharp money. It's it's sure. a little different than the other sports, just because NFL football betting is just so so public. It's so huge. Yeah. There's really there's nothing comparable to it, really. Um, and now we've got these teams that are zero and two, and they have to see if they can bounce back. You know, we have couple playoff teams from last year. The Bengals, Chargers, Vikings all start 0-2. Bengals did it last year. No team has ever started 0-2 in back-to-back years and made the playoffs in both. They'll try to be the first team to do so. We're going to talk a lot about them because they have some major injury issues that they're dealing with. But we're going to go in order of the games. If you ever want to follow along with us, we will be going through them in order that they show up on DRF Sportsbook. And we'll take a look at those betting lines right now, Eric. This one says San Francisco 49ers minus 10. The Giants are a 10-point dog here. So short week for these two teams after the 49ers. I gotta say, and I probably come off a lot as a 49ers hater. And it's I'm a Rams fan. It's not it's very little to do with the with like a a fan, like a rivalry, or the fact that the 49ers have beaten the Rams a lot recently. Sort of more has to do with the 49ers overall always just seem to get the benefit of a lot of the bounces during the games. They've had some bad quarterback luck. Um, and some years they've had some bad injury luck, but wow. Like you're watching the game, you know, and the Rams were really playing well. A lot of that game, they were dominating. 
uh, dominating is a, a, a over a, a overstretch. They were definitely playing well, and they were playing a little bit better in that game. And they had the ball. They had the opportunity. Or they were up going into the first half. 49ers score right at the end of the first half. And then late again, it's tied. Rams are driving. A ball bounces right off of their receiver's hands into the 49ers' hands. They go back and kick a field goal. It sort of flips the game. Later in the game, Van Jefferson runs a terrible route. 49er defender steps right in front of him. And those two turnovers were basically the difference in the game. We'll shout out Sean McVay when we get to the Rams for uh, getting us a nice cover on that one, Eric, with the Rams there. But he did give a good... uh, I mean, I know everyone's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. But anyone that watched the game... There's no reason the 49ers should win by over seven. And at the end of the day, and that, no, I'll, you're right. And that, that that's the I'll, thing. You're you're I'll exactly right. Outcomes. That you're exactly right. There was I'll, not I'll a reason. The like, Rams won the box score based on everything. The they got a couple bounces. The 49ers did, and they win that game. But that that's one thing that's tough about this team, Eric, is that they. So the counter to my point of they get lucky is every time another team makes a mistake against them, they capitalize. Every time. Yeah. Every single time. And and there's a lot of teams out there that get mistakes and don't capitalize, mm-hmm. right? So that's the difference between them. They have a really good baseline, a really good floor of head coaching. But now they're going to start to get to be really big numbers this year they're, because they're already like on the short list of best teams in the league. We've seen them look dominant so far with their defense in week one. And then last week, they make a couple big plays late. The one thing, though, um, that stood out to me last week and Purdy has been very, very good. He had three bad missed throws last week to wide receivers. He missed a touchdown to Ayuk, then a big play to Jennings on third and seven, and then another pass that could have been a touchdown to Debo. Last week, he was graded quarterback number 24 based on pro football focus. He's graded as QB 17 so far this year through two weeks. Just something to keep an eye on because in closer games or against tougher opponents or in games when things might go a little wrong for them, if he needs to make big throws, he missed a few of them. That could have put the game away early or, or could have had them up bigger on the Rams. Um, McCaffrey, I, I'm not sure exactly what to take out of this. I think I mean, it's a positive. He's obviously healthy, but he played 100% of the offensive snaps for the first time since 2019. Always get weary with someone like him because – is it more important to have him on the field for 100% of the snaps against the Rams in week two? Or is it more important to have him on the field for 90% of the snaps in round one of the playoffs? That, that's to me what I would prefer, right, Eric? And plus they have a quick turnaround. We kind of saw it. Um, we see a lot of teams do this. We limit their running backs on Sunday, and then they're in line for a big work on Thursday. Uh, I was a little leery about playing. That's why when we did our NFL blitzing show, I said, hey, you know, if you want to go against the grain, my reasoning for taking the under and that free to play on parlay play was because these running backs generally, if they get a big workload on Sunday, they have a lighter workload on Thursday and vice versa kind of leads me. I don't know how much we're going to see of CMC um, come, come Thursday, just with a quick turnaround. I was, when I'm looking at this stuff now, everyone that knows me knows I love taking these big numbers, but historically speaking, Big favorites tend to cover on Thursday. Favorites on Thursday laying seven or more are 50 and 31. That is 61.7% against the number. Home favorites that are laying this big of a number are 37 
and 21. That is 63.8% against the number. So the trends kind of say to take the big number, even though historically and I don't do it. Giants. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Right. Like I, I'm not going to play this, no, but, I'm you're, not, I'm not, I'll but you're right. It's, it's more in. of a, it's more of a, that we won't play the other side. Right. Or yeah. that you don't want to feel the need to play the other side, especially because we find out some player props. I mean, cause the giants offense did look better. You know, obviously no Barkley Thomas was banged up. It's going to have to be Jones too, because it's, the O line, they already announced those guys are out today. So they just announced, uh, Barkley's out and both the offensive linemen are out for Thursday's game. They just did a few minutes ago. Um, so for them to be competitive, got to be Jones and he's got to run the ball a little bit. They did look a lot better in the second half, obviously. Guys that I might look to, Eric, a guy that you were high on in the preseason, Hyatt, rookie, wide receiver. He made a couple big plays. He had a 31-yard catch late in the fourth. Early in the game, he had a 58-yard reception. Uh, on the first play of the second half, you could tell they came out of the second half motivated. Dude, this team was down 20 to nothing at half. And then the first drive of the third quarter, they go three plays, 75 yards. They score a touchdown, tie the game with 28 uh, with four minutes left. And then they force Arizona to punt. Uh, they got tough in the fourth quarter. They didn't allow Arizona to cross the 44 yard line on the defensive side. They scored 24 unanswered points. Largest comeback in the franchise's uh, Super Bowl in their, their history in the Super Bowl era. Win probability was as low as 4.7% with 38 seconds left to go in the third quarter. But Jones was awesome in the second half. 259 yards passing, the most he's had in any half in his career. Waller, shout out, he was on the field for 89% of offensive snaps. That was the most for him since mid-2021 for any game. Sort of the flip side of McCaffrey. For Waller, it's a little bit different. Him running routes out there, he's not getting banged up, right? I think him running the routes shows that he is a little bit healthier. For McCaffrey, you have him out there taking a few more hits here and there, a few more blocks here and there. Just, I don't know if that's necessary, especially for a, a 49ers team that like has some some capable backups there. Waller, they, they need Waller to be the focal point of their offense, especially in a game like this, if they were going to do anything. I, for, for props, Eric, I might look to maybe Jones, maybe Hyatt, maybe Waller if you're looking at the Giants props because they are they have the template to be down, to be needing to come back for Jones, to needing to be run, and then to have to throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, the one that kind of looks out to me would be Kittle just because the Giants have kind of struggled against the tight end. Yep. Kittle's going to have a good matchup. But a lot when you have a prop like Kittle's, Kittle's is probably going to be in like the 40s to 50 range. So game-dependent. I mean, because if the 49ers get up, they're not going to pass. They're just going to sit on the ball. And that would be the one thing. Um, and the, another thing with betting the 49ers is this is kind of their peak. This is kind of like where they're, they're at their highest value right now. So I just, I think the 49ers are going to win the game. But in terms of getting on a side, I don't want anything to do. And it's just scary because we can obviously see the game in our heads from last week, Sunday night football, the Giants and the Cowboys. And, we know that the Giants are going to be without two offensive linemen and their best player. So there are versions of that game of this game, Eric, that look a lot like that game where the Giants just can't do much. They have they don't have Barkley there to help them out. Their offensive line can't block anything. And Daniel Jones is running for his life. They don't even have time to connect passes. And then San Francisco. You just keep giving them the ball back over and over and over again, and they're just going to wear you down. So 
that's that's what's scary for me about playing this game is that I could we could very easily see that happen. But on the yeah. flip side, the Thursday night games are ugly. Then on the other flip side, you pointed out how the big dogs have hit. I just I'm staying away from this one. Props are probably the the way I target it. Yeah, yeah. I just I want nothing. Maybe some props. That'd be it. Let's go to uh, Falcons at Lions. Your Lions are a three and a half point favorite here. They're now one and one after an overtime loss to Seattle last week. The Falcons two and zero. Oh. Nice win for them last week. So the Falcons they should have won that. It they should have won that game by more. Uh, they did have a couple dropped interceptions that Ritter had that one of them should have been a pick six. There was probably two, maybe even three of them, but I sent you a text during the game and I felt as the game was going on as someone who has backed the Falcons in a lot of season wide stuff, I felt a lot better about how Arthur Smith was sort of taken off the kid gloves little by little with Ritter. And then mm-hmm. they, they got sort of forced to have to, they were down by 12. So then they, they are in a situation where they have to throw the ball a little bit. They have to get a little more aggressive. And I, I liked what I saw from him. He seemed to get a little pumped up on the sideline too. And sometimes you need that. You need you need moments where you kind of have a breakthrough performance or you have a couple of big plays and it starts to build your confidence. That's what it is for probably a guy like Ritter and some of these young quarterbacks. It's confidence. He's not being asked to do too much. So he doesn't have a whole lot of opportunity. He'll get a couple passes. He'll miss one or two. And then it probably sits in his head. And now that I think this could be a big week that could have been a big week for him. I mean, they really dominated that box score. They had 10 more first downs in Green Bay. They ran 31 more total plays, almost double the total yards of the Packers, 446 to 224. Both teams had 10 drives. Atlanta had 5.7 yards per play. The Packers had 4.8. They won the time of possession by almost 13 minutes, more than 12 and a half minutes. They were just running the ball. 211 yards rushing on 45 yards attempt, 4.7 yards per rush. Reason why they didn't blow them out earlier, they were just two of five in the red zone. And Ritter did have a couple awful passes. Mentioned the dropped interceptions. One would have been a pick six. And then Mac Hollins was a little unlucky. There was one play, I thought it was a touchdown, Eric, where he had the toes in. And then it looked like he came down on the heels. It was really close. They overturned it. And then after that, another catch that he had that would have been a first down on a big third down sort of bobbled so there were two big plays that swung the the Packers way and if they go the Falcons way it's definitely a different game in the scoreboard this is the first time Atlanta has won their first two games since 2017 they haven't even started 2-0 in six years and here they are but the schedule sort of looked like it and for as much as you do you do not want to draft a running back early if you do, you better make sure they are like Bijan. My my son Milo loves saying it with me when I'm at, when I'm here, and I've got him on a few of my fantasy teams. And Eric, since you and I are a little high on the Falcons this year, well, I'm watching the Falcons on Sunday. Anytime he gets the ball and does something good, I'll scream Bijan, and then Milo will scream it with me because he he just thinks it's great. So he'll be watching it now. Now he pops it up a few times. It's it's kind of cool. So. Man, this guy's a stud. He had 19 carries, 124 yards, 6.5 yards per carry, uh, 172 scrimmage yards because he had four catches. He picked up a big first down late on a third and three uh, on the drive where they went on to kick the game-winning field goal. He's seventh in the league in success rate as an individual runner, uh, third in rushing yards over expectation per attempt, second in overall rushing yards over expectation. Uh, Just 
awesome. Second in overall rushing yards, fourth in yards for scrimmage, averaging 6.2 yards per carry. He had multiple runs of 10 yards for the second week in a row. And he's the target rate leader among running backs. Just what you want from a guy that you're going to pick high. If you spend a pick on this guy, use him. And they did this week and he helped them win the game with, with some big plays here and there. And the defense, just like you had pointed out, Eric, they were much improved. The scheme was going to be better. They made a lot of uh, acquisitions in the offseason. In the fourth quarter, they did not allow the Packers to get one first down in the fourth quarter. Three drives, didn't pick up a first down. And overall, the Packers only had 224 total yards and 17 first downs. They only allowed 84 yards rushing on 24 rushing att- uh, 21 rushing attempts, so four yards per rush. And... They just got to clean up some of the penalties. They had two awful pass interference penalties. So overall, I think they had six penalties for like 119 yards. I talked a lot about the Falcon side. Now we can kind of lean over to the Lions side here on your Lions who, God, that felt like an old Lions loss, didn't it, too? Just I mean, another one. Kind of, I mean, they're kind of set up to fail. I mean, yeah, they were. I don't, I don't want to use the term set up to fail. But, but I mean, that. I mean, I sniffed that line out. You I did. Had, you could tell. And then, and then from a more more than the movement and maybe them being coming off the big win early on, just looking at what happened during the game, like late in the game, they're without two offensive linemen. Another one, one of them has to shift over that, and that happens right before Goff throws the interception, which is the yeah. pick six. Two turnovers that end up leading to fourteen points. You have three turnovers there in the game, and that's honestly the difference in the game. And then you don't even get a chance in overtime. And Hutchinson, it looked like he was held in the last play, you know, is what it is. Bottom line. Little, is little that, things. You know, I talked about a Tuesday night on my show. Lions are just end of the day, Lions just effed up the draft. They had a they had a chance to draft Carter or Wilson, pairing with Hutch, two young guys on rookie deals. But for whatever reason, they felt they needed to trade DeAndre Swift. I know Swift and Deuce Staley didn't get along, but Deuce is no longer in the building. And then you could draft Gibbs. You can't even. And they don't. And they don't want to use him, Eric, in between the tackles. You can just see, even once Montgomery left, they don't. And it may be because they don't want to get him banged up. Whatever he had nine targets, but like, look at the difference in usage between him and Bijan. Right, a guy that they drafted high, they use him like a guy that they drafted high and want to make a difference in the game. And you don't do that with him. You really got to question what Holmes did. I really think the Lions kind of messed up. What could have been? They're insanely banged up. Montgomery Thigh, uh, St. Brown, Turf Code, Decker, Vitae on the O-line, Mosley with his hamstring in the back, Kirby in the back, Gardner, um, what's his name? Gardner Johnson. He's um he went on the IR for a torn pack. He could be out for the year. He's probably out for the year. Houston on the IR, Pascal on the IR. They're just insanely banged up. You talked about the Falcons. The main thing that stood out for me for the Falcons is they average 7.1, 7.12 yards per pass attempt, 4.69 per carry, per PFF. The Falcons have the best O-line defensive line matchup. Brown has a great matchup working in the slot, but if he can't go because of that turf coat, that's going to really limit the offensive production because the Lions funnel everything into the middle. Um, but at the end of the day, numbers-wise, how I look at this, when this opened up, this opened up at five which is an absorbent amount of points in my eyes. Oh, yeah. And this has moved all the way down to three, three and a half. I just kind of feel like 
It's you didn't you know get it I mean? before. It's here. If, if you missed the, the number before yeah. here, but as crazy as it sounds, you're almost on the lions. If it hits if three, the three, I'm it would be the lions based on just the number. I'm going to be on the lions just sorely, just kind of based on the number. One thing to remember is, and this is just the way it is with some people. Someone do some, some guys do really good at home, really bad on the road. Ritter never lost a home game in college or and in the NFL. NFL. So maybe, maybe that's just kind of, you know, how, how Ritter is. Um, I don't, I don't know. We'll see, you know, Detroit, if this gets to three, look, I'm definitely going to be on Detroit. I wish I had like some anical reason to be it, but no, but it's two and a half, two and a half points, two points, two full points and getting to a key number, getting back down to a one possession game, because now, now we would get to the point where if it's just three, we'd get to the point where Atlanta's getting a little overvalued because this should probably be, a little like more than just the three that it should have started close to this right now, three and a half or four. Right. But yeah. since it's moved so much, we've already gotten the value on it now. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on the Falcons this year, but this is a stay away one for me. Cause I think the, the lions will bounce back and play well in here. Let's move along. Eric, we keep rolling next game on the slate for us to discuss bills at the commanders. We have the bills as a six and a half point favorite on the road here. They bounced back nicely last week against the Raiders, the commanders. They were down 21 to three and they had a really good second half. I got to say Sam Howell threw one of the best passes that you'll see this year. It was a 30 yard dart to Terry Mack. And he finished 27 of 39 for 299 yards and two touchdowns. He's the first quarterback for this franchise to win their first three career starts since at least 1950. That to me is insane. Um, They gained 90 yards on their first 20 plays of the game. Just terrible. Couldn't get anything going. Then they go nine plays, 49 yards. They score a touchdown on fourth and goal late in the first half. And it's like that sort of sparked it for them. They scored three touchdown drives in the second half. Um, Young returned to the defensive line again, helped them step up when the team needed it. They had six sacks overall in the game, did the line. Uh, The defense has now forced four turnovers in two games. You pointed out in, I think, both games and before the year that Brian Robinson was the running back you wanted. He had 87 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He caught two passes for 42 yards. It was great to see them involved in the screen game. Heck, they came back and won a game even when they missed two field goals. And the game looked closer late because the Broncos had a Hail Mary and they got a chance to try to tie that game. Uh, the Bills, if you are a fan of how the Bills. Bad was that call? Like, how could you not call P.I. on that? Oh, on the on – the, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. That, that was, was hands down. That was – no matter what side you backed, that was unbelievable. I mean – that's. That was just absolutely insane because he didn't even touch the ball. Not at all. There was no attempt for it at all. Just awful. Um, Flip side for the Bills, they looked a lot more like a well-rounded team last week. And Eric, for them, they're going to have to have games like this where they ran the ball 35 times, 183 yards, and only three of those for seven yards was from Josh Allen. 
can't have all the bumps and bruises week in, week out. They leaned on James Cook, 17 carries, 123 yards, 7.2 yards per carry. Also had 36 yards receiving. I mean, they dominated the Raiders from the second quarter on more than double first downs. They ran more than 35 plays. They had over 200 more total yards than the Raiders. They held the ball for more than 40 minutes of the game. And the Raiders didn't even have it for 20. Uh, They had long touchdown drives, 11 plays, 15 plays. They hit nine different receivers. I just, from a gambling standpoint, I'm not laying the number with the Bills. You've got Washington, who's played pretty well, and they have a good defense, and they're, you know, plus about a touchdown at home. That would be the only way I'm playing this game. I I don't know if I'm going to officially lean on it, because this does look like the type of game that I could see money going on the Bills as we get later in the week. So, um I'm not laying it with the Bills. I would play Washington in this game, but I I haven't locked it in or anything yet. Talk to us about this one, Eric. Uh, Allen spread six or more, 59%. Seven or more, 70. No, sorry, 60.9%. I think the main thing for this is I still really don't trust this Bills defense with no Von Miller. I need Von Miller back there before I really want to get invested in the Bills just because I really think them having a pass rush is really going to do everything. Uh, the enemy credit where credit is due. Their like, offense has played way better, right? See the issues that the Chiefs are having, and you see how good Washington has looked offensively. You kind of start thinking maybe the enemy was a little bit more involved yep. than what was being let on. And I think this is great for him because he got out of Andy Reid's shadow. Uh, I don't know. My football thinking is this what gives the commanders the best shot to stay within the number? Sam Howell staying back there and looking to pick apart the Bills secondary, which is good when healthy, or as this is going to sound crazy, having to rush more because Von Miller is pressuring him. So does Von Miller not be there, help the Bills because it forces Howell to be a drop back passer and not use his legs. We saw in the game against Denver, he was able to extend his legs and everything. Um, I'm a little worried about the slow starting offense though. They really didn't get it going to the second half of the game, obviously you can't like a team like the Broncos, you can spot them points and be, yeah, behind. that's not like, going to work every week. You can't no. get behind no. also a little bit worried. Like with the Broncos do run that Y nine system, which I've talked about before, which is easy to run on that led to what Robinson had. Um, Bills don't run that. I think they're going to struggle a little bit running the ball. Um, I'm a little worried about, Getting Samuel and Dotson, getting those guys involved, Howell tends to lock in on one guy, doesn't scan the field. I don't know. This is a game is just a pass for me. I really don't want anything to do on either side. Um, I know I generally like to take home dogs in this spot, but I just can't I, get, I want to. I can't and I, I'll wait and see if it can be seven or over, and that would that would definitely entice me uh, a bit more. Probably can't say that about this next one. Unfortunately, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the Dolphins. Mo- I'm gonna be on the Broncos most likely in this game against the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins are a six and a half point favorite in this one. Over under forty eight and a half. Tua is five and zero oh against Belichick. Only quarterbacks undefeated against Belichick with multiple games are Elway, Plumber, and they should have lost that game. Like, oh, I know they, uh, they, they should have lost that game. And he's currently the favorite in the MVP. Uh, I will say. He is the number one graded quarterback. He has eight big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays in his two games. It's the first time they're 2-0 since 2001. What was what I like? What you like to see is 
I agree with you. I don't think, I think they definitely had a couple different things that could have happened where they should have lost that game. They found a way to win, which is nice because that was a game that I thought they would have lost or I thought they could have lost. And I'm getting more impressed with Coach Mike McDaniel when he has his full team because this game, they took, uh, Belichick took away Tyreek Hill. So they just leaned on the run a little bit more. And Mostert was was very good here. Uh, Hill only had 40 yards. And so they've shown different dimensions now. Mostert had 18 carries, 120 yard, 21 yards, two touchdowns. Waddle's health is a concern here. Defense played a little better this week. They had four sacks, forced two turnovers. Patriots only had 88 yards rushing. And remember, Miami gave up 233 last week. Patriots only averaged four yards per play. That that stop on fourth down when the guard just needed to get up what, six inches more, Eric or so, to pick up the first. So this was a tight game back and forth. Keep in mind if, uh, or I mean, Miami had the game early and this got tight. It got tight late. I think it was a little bit closer than it, it may have looked. Uh, if you're just sort of looking at the score, even if you're watching the game and you start dive into the, some of the advanced and analytics stuff, Coach Mike McDaniel has struggled with his challenges, though. Just one of six since last season. Talk to us about what you see in this game, Eric. So the thing that's, Stood out to me is this a couple things. Um, buying low, selling high. Week three, teams that are 0 2 straight up, which the Broncos are, and 0 2 ATS are 63 and 42. That's 60% ATS. When same situation, 0 2, 0 2 ATS, that are dogs, 50 and 29, 63.3%. When there are dogs on the road, it's 34 and 17, 66.7%. There's another one. Teams that are 0-2 ATS, 0-2 record, playing a team that's 2-0 ATS and 2-0 um, in their record, the dog is 59% ATS in those matchups in week three. That's just kind of the buying low, selling high thing on this. And, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, you mentioned it with the 49ers, just kind of bounces going their way kind of stuff like being lucky versus unlucky. Let's, let's use that term. Let's look at the Broncos. Broncos lost week one because Will Lutz, who's historically been a great kicker, kicking in a kicker-friendly stadium, misses an extra point and misses a field goal. Then they lose week two up, what, 21 points and then had a Hail Mary to tie it up and the PI wasn't called. There could easily be a world where the Broncos are sitting at 2-0. Well, this is the first head coach since 1933 to lose each of his first two games with a new team by two points or less. It just doesn't happen. And then the flip side, let's look at the let's look at the Dolphins. Dolphins easily could have lost that game against the um, they could, the Chargers. That game just came back down. Whoever Chargers had the ball, had the ball with a chance. And I really think this thing that stood out to me was this. New England had six drives into Dolphins territory and came away just three points on six on those six drives. I mean, they were able to move the ball on them. Finn's defense hasn't been that great. Opponents have traveled inside the red zone seven times. They've scored touchdowns in six of those seven possessions. And um, what's been the most surprising at, to me, Eric, just about the, the Broncos is – their offense has been very good. Their offense is number seven in, in DVOA. And Russ had an excellent first half. He had the second half. He wasn't quite as good, but he was good in week one. 
he's not really been the problem. Their defense was really bad in this game. And historically, they've had a very, very good defense. They went from up 21-3 to down 35-24. This was the second week in a row where Kareem Jackson had a dumb penalty where he had a, a necessary roughness hit and he gets ejected. That is, I would say, I would say dirty penalty. I would say right? dumb penalty. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I would say dirty penalty. Just inexcusable, you know, when you're trying to win games. And like you're you're it's just dirty, doesn't make sense. And now you're this team isn't as bad as their record would suggest, but the buzz is oh my gosh, Sean Payton's here. They even last year they were one and one. This was the biggest I heard I saw this one, the largest blown lead in Russell Wilson's career. I didn't realize he was the on defense, you know. Yeah. He bl- said Russell Wilson blew an 18-point lead. Um he also had six carries in that game. He had 300 yards passing. He led the team in rushing with 56 yards rushing. He had a couple big plays, but they took a lot of sacks too. He had six sacks, uh, and he's now tied for the most with 17 games in his career with six-plus sacks. They were only two of four in the red zone. They have now lost nine straight games when they've led at halftime. Which is brutal. Um I like him though in this spot. Yeah, I'm, I like I'm on the and just looking at the Dolphins' defense, Howard and Apple have graded out bad. We saw Marvin Mims finally get on the field more. I think we're going to see a lot more three wide receiver sets with Mims, um, Sutton, and Judy. Javante Williams is getting more and more in shape. Wilson historically good as a dog, 31 and 15, 68% ATS with the Broncos. He is six and two as a dog. Payton, one of the better coaches of the dog, 46, 29, and two. That's 61.3%. I just kind of feel like everything at the end, unless you're the Minnesota Vikings of last year, evens out. I yeah. just think we're deep. And, and wait, we've seen the Minnesota Vikings from last year that it's evening it out this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I like, I like the Broncos here. Yeah. I wish I would have got the seven, but I still like it at six and a half. Me too. I'm fine at six and over. I'm still okay at, at, at six and over on the Broncos. Let's make that our first play this week so far through two weeks, uh, two, th- two and three, three and two for us. So uh, dead even as we move to week three Broncos plus the six and a half for our first play, Eric, let's go next to where we headed next Texans Jags. So the Jags are a nine and a half point favorite in this one over under is 44 Lawrence in that last game, the Jags were an ugly game against the Chiefs. That's what worries me about this number, Eric. But what's hard is that the counter is the Texans had four missing offensive linemen last week. It, when you're without four missing um, offensive linemen, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot offensively. We can see they can't run the ball. I thought Stroud actually looked pretty good dealing with that. Um, and and so, I, I mean, the part of me does not want the Jags or does not think the Jags should be laying this number against anyone. But then on the flip side, I'm really, really worried about this offensive line with the Texans. I'm going to wait a little bit. If this floats up to double digits, that's where I probably get in. Stroud got hit nine times, sacked six times. One of them caused him to lose a fumble, which set up an easy touchdown. Um, he's dropped back 116 times in two games. They just have to find a way to run the ball more. That's just not going to go well for you when you don't have an offensive line like this and this guy's dropping back. He's going to continue to get hit. They were only one of four in the red zone. 
you and I were texting a little bit about it early. There were some head scratching stuff and scheme stuff um, defensively, and even a couple questions offensively from Ryan's. I thought they looked a lot better in the second half. They almost came back in that game too. They just can't can't run the ball at all. Twenty six carries for fifty two yards. A uh, couple things for the Jags. Lawrence was zero for seven in goal to go throwing. That's the most incompletions in a goal-to-go throwing situation in a game since 2005. And their offensive line is really struggling. On the Jags' side, too. It's not like it's going to be great for them. They allowed pressure on 25% of dropbacks. They allowed three sacks. They had um, 18 total first downs on 11 drives. They couldn't score a touchdown in a game when they had first and goal from the one. They turned it over on downs twice, ended up going 0 of 3 on scoring downs and the scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, just 271 total yards, only 4.2 yards per play. They were even given three points after Kansas City muffed a punt return. Yep. This nine point total was the second fewest they've scored with Peterson. Uh, they overthrew a, pla- a pass in the end zone, a bad miss of Calvin Ridley in the back of the end zone. Christian Kirk dropped a third down pass. Agnew fumbled a lateral. And the the both of the lines are what's disappointing me about this team, Eric. They have they have talent on the defensive line, but they just aren't getting as many sacks as they should. They're not putting as much pressure on the quarterback as they should. Overall, that part of their team isn't being as impactful as it should be for them to take the next step. I'm definitely not laying this number with Jacksonville. I just I gotta see if I can get there with Houston. If I can get to the 10, then I will. I just I'm gonna I'm need gonna, it with the problems they're dealing it. with. It's starting to go down, and some books is already down to eight. See, um, so yeah, we're not gonna get that. I took the nine and a half. I'm fine taking the nine and a half. Uh, divisional road dogs, just overall, doesn't matter the week. Fifty-four percent ATS. Divisional road dogs. Uh, the first three weeks of the season are fifty-seven percent. When it's the first three weeks of the season, getting over seven, um, you know that's fifty-eight percent. The same trend I mentioned earlier about 0-2 straight up, 0-2 ATS, 63 and 42, that's 60% ATS. We have to remember, what was the line when the Texans played the Ravens? It was this nine and a half. And I really don't think the Jaguars with the issues that they have are as good as the team right now as the Ravens are. And we got to remember this when we're looking at the lines because if the line is set like that, that's basically what the sports book is telling you. Um, also with the Jags, I think the key thing we need to remember is how poorly their offensive line has been. Yeah. Robinson is suspended, and Harrison, the rookie from Oklahoma, is one of the worst-rated offensive tackles in the league right now. If Ryan, I, I'm going to believe the hype with Ryan. I'm going to believe that he is this big defensive mastermind that everyone is talking about that he's going to be able to come up with a defensive game plan to exploit Harris on the line. Another thing that stood out to me when looking at cornerbacks, Texans have two of the three highest graded cornerbacks. Thomas and Nelson have had a great start to the season. I think those guys are going to be able to keep Ridley Jones, Kirk and crew kind of in check. I think I really like that. Also, has anyone else noticed Stroud is the fourth most passing yards in the in the league? Yeah. Or being 0-2, he 
he is getting the ball out. He is passing. He has, and they don't really have ball. stud receivers either. Like he's throwing Robert Woods, Nico Collins. You know, Woods had a pretty yeah, good game. Tank he's Dell. been fantasy relevant. Um, Tank Dell. I just think, and then I look at it, Peterson historically hasn't been able to cover these big numbers. Anything when laying anything over three in his coaching career, he's only 41% against the number. I think this is just way too many points. We have to remember Jacksonville really doesn't have that big of a that that big of a um, home oh field. Home field, and then when you look at their schedule, they're just coming off this game where they let's face it, they probably should have beaten the um, the Chiefs. And next week you're going overseas. I mean, this is kind of a sleepy type spot. <laughs> Get up for that rematch playoff meet rematch. Now you get a one o'clock game against the divisional dogs with the Texans. I'll take the Texans here. I bet them plus the nine and a half. Ravens versus the Colts. Ravens are a seven and a half point favorite at home. Over under in this one is 45. Lamar looked very good last week. It seemed like he got a lot more comfortable with that offense and just having Andrews around helped. He was 24 of 33, 237 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 54 rushing yards. It was his higher pa- uh, highest passer rating since week two of last year. He finished graded quarterback number five on the week, two big time throws. One of them, an awesome deep pass to flowers. Another really nice one to Aguilar on third and 10, put him up a uh, third down that put him up by 10. OBJ got hurt. So they used Nelson flowers uh, or Nelson Aguilar flowers, Bateman, Andrews all had some nice plays. He was very good when targeting receivers in the slot was Lamar. They did this without six injured starters, a couple offensive linemen, couple in the secondary receiver running back punt coverage. They allowed an 81 yard punt return. So they got to be better there. Uh, on the Colts side, Richardson looked pretty good early, but the concerns you have with him is because he runs so much. He's primed to get banged up a little bit. And that's what has happened already in two games. He's come out twice, um, but he led two touchdown. Uh, he, he, Played really well. Uh, and then Minshew came in. He played really well. He actually finished graded quarterback number four on the week. He led two touchdown drives of 75 yards in the first half, and he put the Colts up by 18. The one thing he can do, if there are little openings, he can hit. He's an accurate passer, Minshew. Like, if you're just there with short stuff, he's going to hit you. That's what he did in college. He can throw the ball and hit his spots over and over. He can. Ju- he just has a ceiling, right? But – I've always been a little higher on Minshew than you have. Just he's not necessarily a starting quarterback in the NFL, but as far as backups are concerned, I think he's about as good as they as there are of like backups in the league. Um, and and it was nice to see the Colts run the ball a little bit. Moss had 18 carries for 88 yards. Do you have a play in this one, Colts Ravens? I hate myself. I'm betting the Colts. It's like. This is the week I have another quarterback coming up later that I absolutely despise that I'm betting on. I get the Colts here. I'm I'm on them plus the uh, plus the seven and a half. We need to talk about how there's eight players out for them. I mean OBJ, um, two offensive linemen out, two secondary, two secondary out. There's just they're just way too banged up to be laying, you know, this big of a number and. We talk about it with Mahomes, who we'll get to, um, you know, who we'll get to a little bit later. Jackson is kind of morphing into a little Mahomes where he is covering as a small favorite, 
But when it comes to these bigger favorites, he's having a hard time covering. 17 and 25, 40%. Home favorite, 11 and 18, 37.9%. I I think really think the big thing for me that's kind of sticking out and everything is the injuries to the offensive line for the Ravens versus the Forrest Buckner and that defensive line of the Colts, because that's a very good defensive line. I think they're going to be able to create some havoc and get to Lamar. And I really haven't been that impressed. There's been one good throw I've seen to Zay, Zay Flowers from Lamar Jackson this in two games. I think seven is just way too many points. I, I like, I like I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not laying, I'm not laying this. I'm, I'm thinking about in one of my two making this a survivor play because I've been looking through it and those three double digit spreads this week, everybody's jumping on those teams. And I feel like one of those teams, like you, when you generally have that, like the Ravens this week are kind of a little undervalued as a survivor team. That's way different than laying them as seven and a half point favorites. I, because 49ers and the Cowboys and the Chiefs are the three teams that are taking the, the bulk of the survivor money. I'm, I'm not laying this with the Ravens. You hit the, the nail on the head. They're too banged up to lay this type of a number at over a touchdown. I haven't made this a play yet, but I, I'm on the Colts side as, as I like a couple other games more, but I, I would definitely lean Colts on that one with you. Not, not on the Ravens side there with all those injuries, two teams that are Owen two and that could very easily be two and oh, the way things have bounced for them. And it's uh, about a pick them or so the Vikings and the chargers over under in this game is 54 and it keeps going up, 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 up. So the Vikings down three with 45 seconds left in the first half. They have the ball at the Eagles 31 big play to Jefferson. Looks like he scores a touchdown actually fumbles it through the end zone. So instead of going up by four, the Eagles get the ball and they kick a 61 yard field goal. So that's a 10 point swing in the game right there within 45 seconds. Those are all of the things that went positive for the Vikings last year. They come right out of the half and they surrender a touchdown on the opening drive of the third quarter. They have the worst fumble luck through a team's first two games since the 2003 St. Louis Rams. Last year, they had 10 total fumbles the entire regular season. So far, they have they have six through their first two games. They had four different players fumble on Thursday. It's not like it's just a bad quarterback who's struggling or a bad running back. Like, their best players are having bad moments at very crucial times. Yeah, the, the Jefferson fumble was right absolutely. a killer. Just a killer. Offensive line is struggling. Bradbury out. Ingram's not playing well. Uh, replacement got carted off with an injury. They have seven turnovers through the first two games, and those two games have been decided by nine points combined. Negative six on the turnover differential. Um, but Jefferson and Cousins have been good. He's the first Jefferson's is the first player in 12 years to put up back-to-back 150-yard receiving games to open a season. In, in this game, he had 11 catches, nine first downs. Five of them went for 15 or more yards. Four of them were contested targets. And out of uh, he caught four of six contested targets. Cousins set the franchise record for 708 yards in the first two games of a season. And then we get to the Chargers, who is just almost laughable. The passing defense is so bad, right? They they played the Titans last week, and Ryan Tannehill in Week One, 
Tannehill was miserable. Was so, so, so bad. He was ranked 28th overall by Pro Football Focus. In week two, because of how bad the Chargers' pass defense is, he was the number one quarterback on the week, Tannehill. The difference between week one to week two. The Titans didn't score more than 27 points last year. They hit 27 once. This was the first time since 2013 that Tannehill has completed two passes of at least 45 air yards in a game. I don't know what the hell Brandon Staley is doing or what he is. They had a fourth and one on the Titans 44. They punted. There was a third and four where they ran the ball. They didn't even give Herbert a chance. He, on his first year, they went for it every time on fourth down. Literally, they were like your coach, Dan Campbell. He went for it every time. And then the ba- there it was backlash because it didn't work out for him. And so he flipped. And now he doesn't go for it at all in, in situations when he really should. And that's the worst thing you can do as a coach. He has no identity anymore. Isn't he supposed to be a defensive coach? They're dead last in defensive DVOA. They're 26th in success rate. They're 30th in EPA per drive. Okay, Gino, it's only been two games. In the three years now since he's been here, two and plus, they're 28th in defensive EPA per drive and 28th in success rate. These are his guys now. Right, He's got his roster, his scheme. They have a ton of talent. His scheme is supposed to prevent big plays. So it's from The Athletic. Quote, since Staley arrived, they've given up completions of 30-plus yards more than any team in the league. I just mentioned 75 yards and 49 yards to the Titans. The defense had three personal foul penalties. This is the first team in the Super Bowl era to score 50-plus points in their first two games, not have a single turnover, and lose both of those games. And it's amazing, Eric, because the offense will look really good. They're top five in success rate, DVOA, EPA per drive. But then in overtime, they go three and out. Last week, they couldn't score late against Miami. This week, they were two of 14 on third down. So they're awesome in a lot of the metrics, but then... When the game slows down or when they need to make a big play on third down or late in the game, they don't do it. A couple crazy Herbert stats, and I'm going off because I had the most notes of any team this week on the Chargers because of all the the crap they had. Um, Herbert has is on the list of like the top 300-yard passing games in their first four seasons. He has 23 of them. In those games, the team is 12 and 11. So think about that. In games where he's been awesome and thrown for 300 yards, they've only won half of them, 12 and 11. Compare that to Mahomes. He's had 26 of those. They're 21 and 5 in those games. Uh, Kurt Warner, he had 26. They went 22 and 4 in those games. His team did. Marino, he had 22 of them. They went 16 and 6 in those games. And Herbert and the Chargers have gone 21 and... Uh, 12 and 11 in his 23. He's lost 10 games where they've had a lead in the fourth quarter. Those are the most of any team since 2012. And he is only two and five in overtime games as the starter. This is the fourth consecutive game that they've lost where they've lost by one score dating back to last year, including the pay- the playoffs. Maybe the, de- the, the pass rush got a little bit better. They had five sacks. They put some pressure on the quarterback. They didn't move the ball at all on the ground without Eckler. Man, these two teams are perfect for each other. I want nothing to do with this game. I right? literally I, want nothing, nothing to do with this game. And I've got the most notes about these two teams, and I'm completely in agreement with you. I can't touch it with a 10-foot pole. 
Uh, Vikings, obviously, you mentioned that they're just going back. I mean, everything broke their way last year. They're just everything just kind of evens out. Offensive line has not looked at that good for even though they lost the game. One thing that really stood out to me was this is the first game. Granted, I only played two where the Chargers defensive line was able to create some havoc and really get to Tannehill. Are they going to be able to continue that? And are they going to be able to get to Kirk Cousins? Because Cousins isn't the most slickest of foot foot. And they've got the offensive line issues there too, right? They've already got a couple guys out on the, on the Vikings. Yeah, They're banged up. And even if when they're healthy, they're not that good. Good. No, they traded for acres today. I don't think acres is going to be a factor just because the playbook and everything. I don't, even though it it is kind of similar to McVay runs, I'm not going to expect that much from him. The one thing for me though, is in terms of DFS, I think you have two ways of, doing this you can either go a cousins stack with a keenan allen stack just because minnesota's dbs are just so bad we're going to be able to take advantage of them every single week in dfs or you can flip it the other way and you can go a justin herbert but instead of going with justin jefferson go with tj hawkinson so i mean in terms of dfs that's how i'd look at this game just because there will be a high scoring game i want nothing to do with this i just want to kind of lay back and see kind of what happens. I do think though, if the chargers lose, there's a high probability Staley could be fired. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened early on as uh, we move to the Pats jets. Patriots are a two and a half point favorite on the road here against the jets. We've known the success that the Patriots have had against the jets through the years, but this is the first time the Patriots actually started. zero and two at home since 1975 again, last week. First quarter drive ends with a fumble. Dolphins turn that into a touchdown. They have a great play. Fantastic special teams play where that dude blocked the field goal. He came around the side and he timed it. They get the ball in Miami territory. They couldn't score. Yeah. And they couldn't run the ball at all. They only had 88 yards rushing, 3.5 yards per carry. Miami allowed 233 yards the week before. So that offensive line with with some of the, the issues they have and a couple missing pieces, they weren't great. Honestly, they just don't have any playmakers either, Eric. And this was something that we've known the last few years. They haven't gone out and made any good acquisitions for uh, game breakers, guys that are legitimately some of the fastest on the field. The They didn't have one play of more than 14 yards other than a Mac Jones scramble in yeah. that game. And now they're going to play a really good defense of the Jets that is really good at limiting big plays. And... Now the Jets are going to have to play a good defense here. Look at the over-under in this game. It's 37 because there's just no scoring expected in here. Wilson struggled against the Cowboys. He was graded quarterback number 31 on the week. A couple turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, he had a few fine moments, but you just know he's not the guy when you're watching it. And they can't run the ball at all because teams are going to stack the box. All three backs combined for around 24 yards on 10 carries with a fumble. And now from a fantasy standpoint, you got three different backs getting involved and the defense was a little disappointing in particular, the secondary, they allowed lamb to go nuts in that game. He had 11 catches and he was running wild. It was a little more zone where he was sort of hitting them. And there's six possessions in the second half. The jets went three and out two plays, fumble three and out um, to start. It was, yeah, I mean, that was an ugly game for them. I, I, I'm not playing the Patriots and laying the number. 
I would lean to the Jets. I just don't know if I can get there here. I need it to be at a field goal or over. And I, I'm not sure if we're going to get that. Um, obviously, Belichick has owned Wilson here. Home dog is usually my spot here, but we got to kind of see like Sauce Gardner like deleted his tweet Twitter account. They're already complaining. It's been bad. I know. Only about getting four carries in the game. Um, Pats still have some offensive line issues. That's a little worrisome for me. Um, But when you look at teams that are just due for some positive regression, the Pats. I mean, it's the the Pat. There's three teams that have been the most unluckiest, and the Pats are one of them. Pats are due for some – you could probably make an argument they've been the most unluckiest team when you look at the start of the game against the Eagles and the start of the game against the Dolphins and getting the ball in Dolphins territory six times, only coming way with three points. Mac Jones has looked better. Hunter Henry and him obviously have a connection. I really – I don't know. I, I I never lay points. I'm just going to sit back. I don't want anything to do with this game. Me if too. I didn't have to bet it, if I was forced to bet it, as crazy as it sounds, I think I would take the pass just because I think there's a lot of locker room issues going on with the Jets. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to touch it at all. Let's move to the next game. We've got the Saints at the Packers. Packers are a two-point favorite in this one. Um, I, kind of tough for me to take some of what I saw out of that Packers game against the Falcons because they were without Aaron Jones. They were without Watson and offensive lineman Bakhtiari. They also left had an injury to their left guard, Jenkins. Um, there's a couple dropped interceptions that they could have had. They blew a 12 point lead, but then late in the game, they stagnated things sort of evened out for them. Um, they had a couple huge inter pass interference penalties, big chunk plays with my eyes. It's telling me loves playing pretty well. He also had an interception that was dropped. He's not graded great based on a lot of some of the, the metrics I'm looking at too, but I think he's looked fine um, for the saints. I don't really know what to take of this team right now. Their offense has not looked fantastic. Defensively, they're very, very good. Um, there was one stat I wanted to point out, and then I'll uh, I'll toss it over to you, Eric. The Saints, I believe, had a really cool statistic. I think it's been 20. Uh, go ahead. I'm going to find the, the, the stat I have on the Saints. But talk to us about this one, Eric. I, I can't really get a feel for this, especially based on – not knowing a little bit more, what's your sense of like Aaron Jones and Watson this week? Uh, Watson practice, Jones did not today. I think both of them go. Even if Jones doesn't go, I still like the Packers here. I gave this one out on my show. I got it at minus one and a half. LaFleur is 21 and 11 ATS at home, 65%. As a favorite, 19 and 11, 63.3%. And the thing that I'm looking at the active coaches the floor is the fourth most profitable coach in the league against the spread. Allen historically as a dog, he's really struggled only 42 and a half percent. He's one of the least most profitable coaches ATS as a dog. And then when you kind of look at, and we saw it Monday night, when you look at cars splits, great at home, bad on the road, more interceptions, less um, completion percentage. He really does struggle and the weakness for this Packers defense is what? Stopping the run. No Kamara. Jamar. Williams is out. It's out. So now you're 
get down to Miller, the rookie from TCU, hasn't played. He's still recovering. Are you going to rely on Jones, who really hasn't shown he can be an every down back? I just don't think the way you can exploit their belt. Yeah. To attack the Packers, the Saints are going to be able to take advantage of it. And then you look at the Saints. I know they're 2 0. I can make an argument if Tannehill or. Oh, my God. They should have lost week one for sure. Were any capable. I will say this. I think if Andy Dalton plays, Panthers win that game on Monday. Sure. Sure. Um, I just kind of feel they've been very lucky with the quarterbacks that they have played against the um, Titans. They gave up 4.73 yards per carry against the Panthers on Monday night, five five yards per carry. Packers are going to be able to run the ball with A.J. Dillon. They're going to be able to run the ball with Aaron Jones. Assuming he plays, I think he's going to play. That's going to be able to open up the passing game, plus you're getting Curtis Watson, Christian Watson back. The field extender, you got Reed and Dobbs working underneath the middle. I just think they're going to use the running game to open up the passing game. And the weakness of the Packers you want to bet against the Packers when they play a team with an elite rushing game. I don't yeah, think and this isn't that team. I think the Saints are in the market because of you look at their defensive analytics. They've allowed 20, uh, 21 points or less in 10 straight games. That's a big stat that's been floating around. Um, they're pretty good on the road, too. I think I saw they're the best road team in the NFC since 2018. They're 29 and 12. This isn't that same team that have a lot of those metrics in this. Again, I'm I'm with you. I'm on the side of the Packers, and we can probably make this one of our five plays of the week here, Eric. Uh, let's go to the Titans and the Browns. I bet I know if I bet I know which side of this game you're on. And see, folks, I, I folks, see here. Are you going to do it or no? Are you going to do it? So he, this is the thing that that I looked at. Okay, Vrabel as a dog. We all know it. Sixty-two and a half percent. At three or less, this is, we're starting to see some threes and two and a half pop in the market with Chubb. So when you get that three, that's 53% ATS. But when it gets below the three, that drops all the way to 25%. Oh, yeah. I would I wouldn't play it right now. But as we look at this line right this second at DRF Sportsbook, at three and a half, I, I punched it already on the Titans. And I would and definitely play it there. The thing, do you know how many drives the Browns defense has allowed in their red zone. Well, the Steelers didn't run a play in the red zone in the entire game. They have yet to allow an offense to have a play in the red zone two games deep. With the and Steelers the thing and the Bengals so far. Out of my mind is how much the Chargers defensive line just completely manhandled the Titans offensive line. Allowed five sacks. Two of them and were kind I, of bad communication. Like, just, and you see everyone's like, we're dedicating this to Chubb. And we've seen this in all these sporting these sports when the star, the player that rallies the locker room, when he gets hurt, it's that first game back that's kind of the quote-unquote rah-rah spot, the get-right spot. Titans are very good against the run. You know, you have Ford, but they're really bad against the, the pass. You got Cooper, you got Elijah Moore, you got the only Dylan. the only thing that worries me though, I gotta say, as someone who wanted the Browns to be good this year, man, there is not much more time for Watson to like Watson start looks, figuring it out. Watson looks awful. 
Just but, horrible. He was 30. He's graded and, 39. And the thing that he's doing is he's like Justin Fields light. He's taking more sacks than Baker Mayfield ever did. And that was a complaint against Baker when he was there that he took too many sacks or holding the ball. He's be, he's got a great offensive line, even with the issue they have now with Conklin out and he's still running into it. That's the only thing that worries me. Sort of what you're saying. Can they exploit, can he exploit the secondary of, you know, of the Titans enough for it to matter at over three and can they do right. Browns. And yeah. I mean, like you look at it, Browns have been unlucky this year. Browns are another team that haven't been really able to get that much stuff going. You they know, had 14 in that last game, they had 14 possessions in the game and scored two touchdowns. I that's what's hard for me at three and a half. I'm Titans because I think this game to me just smells like it's a tight game for sort of the reasons why we're kind of going back and forth at three. I'd still be okay playing Titans. As soon as it moved under a field goal, I don't play either side. I'm I stay yeah, away. This is two and a half. I'm on the, You're Browns. on the Browns. Yeah. At three and a half. I don't know. Like, I just, I just know how sports are and like the rah, rah stuff. Oh yeah. The narrative stuff is, is there. I'm just, just like the, the game stuff concerns me. The Browns have not allowed a team inside their 20 and they lost on Monday night football because of a pick six and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. The, my only counter to that would be Matt Canada had his, I believe 39th straight game where they haven't had uh 400 yards of total offense. You know, that offense is miserable and they played the week one against the Bengals offense that came back and didn't look great again against the Ravens. So that's sort of my whole problem with, with this game as you're hitting is like, I want it to be three or, or if it's over, I'm on the Titans here. This might be one of the few games where we're slightly on different sides or kind of feel a little different, but I think we both are sort of knocking both sides. I, I don't know if short, you know, short week for Cleveland too, coming off the Monday night game, they got to implement new runners. Um, and, oh, this is going to be Ford. This is going to be Ford's backfield. I know everyone's. Yeah. No, and know, I agree with you. He's good. And you're not going to just bring him in right away. Drafted. He was drafted to be Chubb's replacement. Chubb wasn't going to be signing him. He, w- he was drafted to take over. To for take the job. spot. Yep. So I just, I think they're just going to give him the keys to the castle a little weird, bit early. And, weird Watson you know, stuff on uh, social media too. Like there's like a burner out there. His, his like individual coaches are, def- he's just already starting to feel the panic because the Browns fans are going, what did we give up a lot for you? And you got to be looking better than this. Uh, but they, they're one and one could easily be two and oh, and we'll see if they can make it two and one. This week, uh, Panthers is our next game. Eric, they're a six-point dog on the road at Seattle. Over-under in this game is 42. Bryce Young's 4.2 yards per attempt is the third lowest yards per attempt in history for a quarterback in their first two games. Now he's dealing with an ankle injury. He sat out practice on Wednesday. The offensive line is bad, and the wide receivers are not good. On the first... I I think... I my counter to that is Frank Wright is a fucking moron. Yeah, language. No, it's okay. You don't drop them much. Terrence, they, do, they have effect have, when you do. Terrick Marshall, who's a physical specimen, and the first fifteen to twenty plays are always scripted. You're telling me Frank Wright was sitting in the locker room and just say, "Guys, we to get this game going, we need to target Adam Adam Thielen." Well, and that's we what I was listening. Thirty-one year old 
slow. He, on the first three drives of the game, there were eight targets that Young had, five of them to Thielen and three to Sanders, the running back. That's it's, that's it's, how his target started. It's just insane that you have this guy, Terrence Marshall. Like I would, if the Lions trade for Terrence Marshall, I will literally do a backflip. Well, what you have with him is what why people wanted the Panthers to go get Hopkins. It's a big target that he's not going to beat you down the field as much, but he's at least a guy who can go up and fight for a ball and someone that Young can throw the ball to and just take a little pressure off him. They don't have that, and the one that they do have that fits that template, they don't, they're not running anything for him. The other guys, they're not fast enough to get open, and they're not physical enough, like you said, a guy like Marshall is. I just – and then you have the ball in the red zone. You don't even throw one jump ball to him. Not one. It just – Frank Wright is just a moron. It just amazes me how he's still in coaching. I also read this thing how Young's too small to even do a quarterback sneak. Yeah. He, they can't even – so they have to bring in Dalton. He looks very uncomfortable under center. You know, there's that play going around where he's – not lining up under the center. Sanders had to push him over. Uh, but I'm a big trenches guy. And Seattle's banged up on the offensive line. Both tackles are going to be out for the game. Panthers actually played pretty goal. well with despite that last week, better than I thought they would. But you're right. Like I couldn't lay this number with Seattle um at all at six. They they sort of got the benefit of the doubt last week. We pointed out with some of those turnovers against Detroit. Gino played a lot better. That that's a positive. Right, he played a lot better. He had that one really bad sack that he took, but then in overtime he bounced back. I think he went six of seven on the opening drive. He hit some big passes. He ended up with 328 yards. He was graded number eight quarterback on the week. Um, they missed a couple field goals. I, I'm staying away because I want I want to be on the Panthers side. But everything you're pointing out too, I've not been high on Young coming into the year, and there's nothing that I've seen so far that makes me want to change my mind on that. Yeah, I just – but I will say this, looking at this, do you trust Geno Smith to cover no. a big number? No, no, that's what I mean. I don't I, – I, but I don't – but on the flip side, I may not have to trust Geno Smith. It may be a defensive thing, situation where Carolina just can't move the ball at all, can't but score, turn the ball over. I, I wouldn't one, lay it with Seattle. My I just bet in this is just simple. Last year – the second worst team in the league defending the tight end, giving up the most yards per game was the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks are the worst team two games in defending the tight end. I'll look for some low Hayden Hurst props. It'll probably nice. be like 29, 28. I'll kind of look there. That's going to be the only action that I want in this game. Yeah. He looked pretty good in week one. Also, I think you and I are both going to be in the same spot in this next game. As we move to the bears at the chiefs, so first of 12, all, first of all, like the stories going around now, I live in the Chicagoland area. The stories going around right now are absolutely insane. Like there's a story going around. Now, look, I don't even know if it's true or not. There's rumors going around that Alan Williams, their defensive coordinator, um, his house was raided by the FBI. Like, I don't, like I, I saw that on Twitter. I don't know if that's true. And for the FBI to raid your house, it's got to be some serious stuff. Um, the owner McCaskey has been at Hallis Hall. He usually goes there once a day, but he's staying there more, and he's starting to interact with the coaches more. 
You know what I mean? It's not like a typical thing. Yep. Um, you have Justin Fields saying that the coaches are making him think too much and he's just going to go back to playing the way he used to, just kind of adapting. And this is a second high draft pick in a row. That's a quarterback that came out with a lot of tools that the Bears have kind of messed up. Messed up, yep. And the thing that really blows my mind is I'm a big Jim Caldwell guy. Caldwell showed up to that meeting with a multi-year plan of what he was going to do to develop Justin Fields. You don't and see – what's crazy is hire him? they're, they're not – don't hire him? Like, what are you doing? Um, They're not running it, – it's – Eric, they, they did the same exact thing last year at the beginning of the year when they tried to make him a passer and they realized – I mean, they didn't have very many weapons and they ended up d- d- designing a lot more runs, scripted runs for him. And then he was a lot better and the offense was a lot better – they're literally trying to make him a drop back passer. It does not make any sense. With a guy like this, you he had four carries for three yards. Where are the design runs? You let him run it a few times, and then what that does is it keeps the defense more honest. They feel like they have to be worried about that. It gives him more one-on-one situations, better routes with the receivers. Receivers get left open because guys start worrying about, oh, fields moving around. They, they come up a little bit. That's when he was able to hit bigger plays. I don't know why they're not doing that. It's like very simple stuff. This is a guy who, I, I will say, everything that he said I think is right. You could tell that he looks like he's in his head because he's running into sacks. Like there are open receivers that he's not hitting. I don't know whose fault really that is. Is it all him? Is it the coaching? Is it a combination? All that being said, they've been awful. They've been miserable on offense. He's been bad. Mooney got hurt. They took six sacks. They've not completed one pass between 10 and 19 yards. Not one. I like them this week. Kansas City still has some issues. Of the 96 games Mahomes has started, that was their worst ever success rate. The two games they've had this year, they have a lower success rate than they had any game last year. They had three turnovers in the first half. They only had 19 total first downs. um, 12 penalties in the game. Also, they have issues at the offensive line. One week after, that guy Taylor looked like he was getting off the line early. He picked up five penalties. He became the most penalized player in a single game in 23 years. They still have issues at wide receiver. Tony fumbled on a screen pass, and the receivers combined to fumble three times. Have the Bears been good? No. Is this number too big? Yes. I'm on the Bears. Yeah, I'm on the Bears too. Mahomes, 27, 35, and 1, 43% ATS favorite of three or more. Home favorites, seven as a home favorite, seven or more. 41% 41% ATS, double-digit favorite, 35%. Historically, Mahomes has showed he really doesn't cover these big numbers. We mentioned it with Biennemi. Um, Offense just doesn't look right. Chiefs just aren't clicking. It's not as crisp. Um, so I really think Biennemi, like I said, did more than people realize. Mahomes' completion percentage is the lowest through two games it's been since he started. Uh, so that's something he's Mahomes isn't as Chris isn't getting the wide receivers. Um, and Eberfuse is coaching for his job. You know, this is it for him. I expect them to open yeah. up the playbook. Uh, I expect them to go after DJ Moore a little bit more, take advantage of some stuff that the issues that the chiefs have going on. I got this at 13. I still like the 12 and a half though. Arizona Cowboys. The Cowboys are a 12 point favorite on the road in here. Their defense has looked fantastic. 
I mean, they should not be a 12 point favorite on the road like this, this early in the season, but man, we saw with Arizona last week, they're up 20 to nothing at half. And then they just lay an egg in the second half. Uh, They had to punt three times in the fourth quarter and they got to play San Francisco and Dallas in these next two games coming up, Arizona. I, I could do it with the bears. You know, Dobbs has actually looked better and more competent than people would have suggested. And Arizona's defense looked fine in the first half and in game one. I don't know if I can get there here, Eric. Could you get there with this one with Arizona? Guess who has the second best ATS percentage when laying seven points or more? McCarthy or Dak? He's great in this situation, huh? Yeah, he's just good. He covers like a machine Um, and he he beats up. He beats up on the bad teams. He's they've been they've done a good job with him because he hasn't had to do much. He's only got two touchdown passes, but no interceptions. He didn't have one game last year where he went back to back games without an interception. Not one. Yeah, I just I just I don't know. Like I'm I staying away. I'm staying away too. Yep. Plenty of other plays for me elsewhere. Steelers, Raiders. We'll go kind of quick through these last couple of games, but remember, Eric and I will also have a couple more shows later in the week. Uh Steelers, Raiders, Eric. Steelers are a two and a half ish point dog on the road. The Raiders got beat up last week by the bills started the game off well, but then just nothing couldn't really make adjustments. And now Adams got hurt. Josh Jacobs had negative two yards on nine carries. It was the fewest rushing yards in a single game by a reigning rushing leader since 1950. Um, Yeah. Jimmy G. He was graded quarterback 25 on the week. I don't know why they're not throwing the ball to Renfro at all. He got no targets in week one, and then he got one he target. No connection, like last week, right? Speaking, Garoppolo really doesn't target the slot, and yeah. Renfro had that connection with um, with what's his face, Derek Carr. So I mean, he's just unfortunately he's just not not getting any any love just because of the quarterback switch. Big line movement here. Uh, Steelers were laying. A point, point and a half. It's already moved three points. So with that being said, I kind of think the value is going to be on the Steelers. I really haven't done anything in this game. Tomlin, 56% ATS in these primetime spots. Uh, Road dog, 61%. I think it's just another one of these instances, Eric, where I'm I'm stealing a line from you again. Which of, of the, all of these units, like, which do you trust the most in this game? I trust the Steelers defense. Right, exactly. I, I right, 100%. Get home. 100%. But on the flip side, this Allegiance field, that thing is loud. Yeah. You trust um, Pickett's going to be able to make some plays, going to be able to get, get home. I don't know. I just – if this gets to three, maybe I can talk myself into the Steelers, but I don't trust the Ra- the Raiders winning with any any margin. So right now this is probably just kind of a stay away stay away game for me. Two more games to discuss, and they're both Monday night football games for uh, the next foreseeable future. We'll have a couple Monday games, and the games will be simulcasted uh, in the years. I I know. Absolutely. I despise it. I hate it. Why are you trying to change such a good thing? Give me one. And they're doing it. Well, they're doing it this year right now uh, because of the writer's strike. Cause now they use it on ABC and on ESPN cause ABC needs the programming cause they don't have as at right now is when a lot of the new TV shows would be starting and they're not. So they don't, they don't have content and they're going to try to double up. Uh, they're going to at least double up the, the simulcasting and have it on like ABC and ESPN. But this is a thing that's going to be happening now for the next few years. Um, two Monday games, 
Eric, I might add the Steelers as a play for us if we need. I think we've got three. That might be a fourth one uh, for us. Eagles, Bucks, Monday Night Football. Eagles, show how well-rounded they are last week. Um, After week one, Goddard did nothing. Then they got him more involved. He was targeted seven times. In week one, Swift did nothing. Then week two, they have 175 yards rushing because Gainwell was out. Is that because of my theory of the Sunday to Thursday turnover, though? Did they purposely rest him? And and that's smart if they did, and that's good coaching. Very good coaching if they did. And he looked fresh because he didn't get any – he didn't have any bumps from Thursday. Um, Again, they weren't, like, fluid. They kicked a field goal on the opening drive. They went three and out. They threw an interception, then a missed field goal. When they started to lean on the run – they ran on 13 out of 16 plays, and then uh, they scored on four straight possessions in doing so. Just keep in mind, this is a new coordinator on both sides. So they are figuring things out, right? New play caller. So it's just a second game calling plays here. And you could see that A.J. Brown was not happy. They almost got in a fight on the sideline. Um, all of his receptions this year have been nine air yards or fewer, and he only had four catches for 29 yards. You know, their secondary is not in great shape. Uh, Bradbury and Blankenship were inactive. Maddox got hurt. The backups got torched. And even Darius Slay, who was covering Jefferson um, for much of the game, he got lit up. You know, Jefferson, we mentioned his numbers earlier. Eric, my guy, Baker freaking Mayfield. I got to I gotta pump him up right now because who knows how long it's going to last. But Baker, through two weeks, he's graded quarterback number three in passing grade. He's been really good. He finished 26 of 34, 317 yards, no interceptions, big plays to Evans. He's had no turnover so far this year and only one sack. That He's done all that you can ask of him, right? That's that's all you're asking. He's played absolutely great. and This is as good of a stretch of two games as he's probably played in his whole career, honestly. Yeah, he's looking good. Um, Maturity-wise, he's really... He's really kind of fired the team up. Um, it's nice that he's kind of under the radar too. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nobody's like talking not, about him. They're not out in the public. It's like, oh yeah, Tampa's won two games and Baker's played well. It's yeah. not out there. He's not in a bunch of commercials. He's not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's good for him. It feels like. For me, I look at it like this. And I said, there's going to be two quarterbacks I'm betting on. That I absolutely. I knew it. Play. And I knew it. I'm bet. I took him here. I got him here. I took him at the five. Um, you know, the Eagles, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Eagles have a lot of injuries in the secondary. Evans and Godwin have looked great. I think they're going to be. You, you called that one, my friend. You were all over Mike Evans and his prop this year. And he's been incredible through two weeks so far. And like breaking away too. like good on Baker and good on him for just getting good on the staff. Baker throws the ball down the field more than Brady, right? No one's going to compare Baker to Brady in a lot of ways, but Baker will take way more shots deep down the field. Yeah, he'll take way more shots, everything. Um, and he'll push the ball more. He has the arm strength. I So I really like that. Eagles are counting on a lot of young players. That's another thing you have to monitor, lead into some rookie mistakes. You know, you mentioned the two young play callers. And another thing that stood out to me in that Thursday game was Hurts' feet. He wasn't getting his feet set at any of his throws, caused a lot of the throws to be off. There was obviously, it looks to be a little bit of some internal issues going on with A.J. Brown, upset with the amount of targets and receptions that he's getting. I know people are going to look to target Smith, but Smith, but Vita Vera's there. Vita Vera, whatever his name is. He's there. He's going to be clogging up that middle, make stuff a little bit harder for Smith. Mayfields look good. I think they're going to be able to take advantage of the issues that the Eagles have being so young and with their injuries. I'll take the five.
Yeah, we're uh, we're on this one together too. So we're gonna play the Bucks at home as a, a home dog here. You're, you're getting you know five ish and uh, in that range. Let's go to the last game of this week: Rams Bengals. Man, my Rammies, I gotta give them credit, Eric. They have played really well through two weeks. Puka Nakua, fifteen catches. He's the only player this year with double-digit receptions both weeks, and he broke the record for the most ever receptions by a rookie, the most ever catches in the first two games of a career. They scored on all three first-half possessions. They were up 17-10. San Francisco scores a touchdown on the final play of the half. So then they they tie. And later in the game, the Rams are driving on the 49ers 31. It's second down, so they're already in field goal range. Ball bounces off their receiver's hands, and the 49ers get a field goal there. So a six-point swing. It's back to a seven-point game. 49ers, or the Rams are driving again. Van Jefferson runs a terrible route, doesn't come back to the ball. Defender steps right in front, and then the the 49ers go up 10. They had more first downs. They ran more total plays, more total yards. They were better on third down, won the time of possession by over six and a half minutes, but two turnovers. That's the difference in the game, and they did all that without their best player. Look, I don't know what's going on with Burrow, but I can't be on the Bengals side right now based on what I've seen from them, and and I'm not sure if he's going to play. I don't think he's going to play. Eric, uh, this is two and a half here. I, I mean, I'm leaning Rams just based on that. I feel like the number moves a little when we get some for sure announcements that he may not be in there. And everything I've been reading and hearing today is that they may be making moves that he may be gone for a few weeks. So I, I like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if I can back the Bengals not knowing their quarterback issues and their offense hasn't even looked great before it felt like Burrow was starting to get into a rhythm and now he's going to be hurt. I think the main thing here is we need to realize that this game opened up at seven. When this so game opened up at yeah. seven, I was you like, can't oh, touch man, it. I'll, I'll take the Rams. Like that sure, was, sure. I was like, I'm definitely going to be taking the Rams. And then the Burrow news came out and this, this thing just dropped one and a half. Now it's this kind of kind of a buyback at two, two and a half. Now look, if, Burrow comes in, I'm going to be all about the Rams. I I try to tell you, man, you know, this Rams team is good, dude. I really they're think better. they're a little bit of under the radar. I think Oh, they are. Like, they're way better. They're they're way way better than I thought. And I you, think, you, I think you they're like that. Dude, this team they could absolutely make the playoffs. Absolutely. If they stay like, healthy. Let's face it, they could have beat San Francisco. They, they should have. They were better than them. They outplayed them in every way. There were just every mistake they made the 49ers capitalized. They were two receiver mistakes. And if those receivers don't make those mistakes, the Rams are going to win that game. Yep. And I just, I don't know. I look at it like Rams are nothing for me here. I'm just going to kind of wait. Obviously um, it's going to be, I mean, the Bengals, if they don't win this game, their season could completely fall off. I know. The only thing that that's nice for them is they got about a three or four week stretch coming up where they've got some winnable games, but you're saying, this was a game that on paper early in the year, you you chalked up as a win for them. Yeah. Right. You're sure. looking at their schedule. You're like, oh, okay, we're at home against a Rams team. That's not going to be good. They're probably trying to tank like total win. Now, all of a sudden, these games are games that are losses. Like, okay, maybe you chalked up game one of the year or, you know, one of your first two games as a loss against your divisional, you know, I could have seen that, but you're, you've already lost two games in the division. And now you got a Rams team that was a win on paper coming your way on Monday night. We'll see if Burrow's healthy. He's got an extra day. He probably will try to gut it out, but I'm not sure if that'll be the best 
for them. Remember, you can join me and Eric again on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time at DRF Sportsbook. Make sure to follow Eric, etop 21 Sports all over the place, and uh, his podcast will come out on Friday as well. Eric, anything to mention before we let you go? Uh, no, let's hopefully, you know, it's been a good week, so good year so far. Hopefully we can kind of keep it going and, uh, you know, make some money. I got us as Broncos plus six and a half. We got the Packers plus uh, Packers minus the two. We got the Bears plus the 12 and a half. We've got Tampa plus five. And then I put in for our fifth one Steelers plus two and a half because we needed a fifth. And that just sort of felt like the one that we were both on the, the side of most. We recommend that you wait and see if you can get a better number. We'll mention it right now because if you're listening to the show, we try to mention numbers that we have at least right now. And so we we won't grade ourselves on a number that we don't even have yet. We'll, we'll have to score ourselves on that one at plus two and a half. Eric, buddy, thank you so much, man. You have a great rest of your night and uh, we'll be talking again a lot this weekend. Sounds good. Talk soon, man. Big thank you to Eric. Up next, we move to Woodbine. Let's talk Friday and that early pick five. Let's talk some racing for Woodbine Friday, September the 22nd. We'll take a look at that early pick five sequence that has a $50,000 guaranteed pick five pool. For you Harness fans, it's a big weekend. I think it's the richest night in racing in Canada, Mohawk Millions on Saturday night. So keep an eye on that if you're a fan of Harness Racing. I'll have some posts and uh, some information more about that. But for Thoroughbred players, let's get into the pick five for Woodbine for Friday. Let's look at the daily racing form past performances. Remember, you can get past performances for free with DRF bets. If you go sign up for a DRF bets account, they have a great promotion. They'll offer you a $250 deposit match bonus, $10 free bet. And then they give you 10 sets of free past performances for uh, 10 different cards. So you can take a look at different tracks. And then every time you bet 50 bucks, you'll get credit for another daily racing form past performance. So make sure you sign up for DRF bets. And if you wager through there, you'll get past performances for free. You won't spend money on them anymore. Race number two kicks off that early pick five sequence. I like the six a little bit in here. JMR Speedy Escape. The August 17th race is the one I think we can show. Um, we can kind of talk you through the race. So he's the number five in the race that we're going to watch. This is back on August 17th. This is five furlongs on the turf. Same conditions as this race. Um, same distance on the turf. This was against Maidens. And he had a fine start. He was right with an early group, but you could see there were like three or four other horses that wanted the lead. So he took back a little bit. All of a sudden he's down on the inside in fourth, about two lengths off traveling pretty well though, but he just kept getting kind of pushed into a bad spot. He was down here inside. He wasn't ever able to get out and he got pushed farther inside by a rival that was moving really well. I don't know if he was going to win this race. He probably wasn't, but he would have finished better than seventh beaten three and a half. Like if he finishes third in this race or fourth, I think the, the price on him is much different, but he's shifting down to the rail and he's moving pretty well, but the horse old blue cliff kind of moves to his inside and, and shuffles him down. I think he probably ends up finishing. Yeah. Maybe third. 
in in that race and you know old blue cliff who goes on to win impressively after hitting that spot so let's give the six a big look what's also positive about him is now he's gone longer in his last two he's drawn towards the outside with his speed i think he can sit off a little bit it looked in that race like he would have no problem sitting behind horses and closing and we know he can get towards the lead he just broke his maiden in doing so the three silent risk he's a major player his last start they all lined up on the lead so he had to take back he was wide chasing and then on the turf two starts back um, on august the 6th that was his first start of the year he sat second he moved to the lead and he tired totally made sense for the first start of the year six three the one would be the next horse bb the king with that inside speed but i do think there's a lot of speed in here um, I, I'm okay if we want to take maybe a little swing against the two midnight moonshine. Six three all over. Maybe the one if you want to go a little deeper. That's race two on Friday at Woodbine. The third race I thought was very contentious, really challenging. It's a small field, but you can honestly make a case for most in here. Crafty Oaks, a Philly facing the boys, but she's dropping out of a couple stakes races where she faced some tough company. Erosa ready to jam. Uh, Dancing Duchess, Stormcast came back to win out of that race. And we saw a lot of these horses in grade one company a couple weekends back at Woodbine. The four natural star has positional speed and then he can finish major positive here for him. The five, two ghosts was an impressive winner breaking the maiden and he's shown a little progression in each. He lost to my boy Prince in his debut, who was very impressive winning and coming back and winning again. Classy image might be the fastest in here. So not an easy race, even though they're just six. And I actually think you need to use the six because of that, because there are versions of this race where this horse can just run away and hide, clear the field from the outside six in the pick five for me, for sure. I think the one to me, she's the most proven. I like her getting back to the synthetic, tried the turf last time out, just didn't fire in a tough spot. And now she'll, she'll run better here. The five and four also horses I can't leave out. The five, I guess, based on price, you can, right? If you're going to spread out a little bit in this race and you're okay and you like others, then maybe you do just kind of chuck two ghosts to um, fits. But again, if it's all about price and building your tickets, I think if you if you love her or love him, you single him here. I like him with a couple others, but he doesn't stand out to me in this race. So lots of six and one. Maybe we can see if we can get out with those two, four and five, both fit. Again, we're looking and the three is a debut winner. It's not like this horse has done anything wrong. And Pontiac tried stakes company last time out. Very, very difficult race. I thought here six and one. Let's see if we can go inside outside fourth race, five furlongs on the turf, non-winners of two. I think they could be moving in here. So to me, the horse that gets the best trip is the six telltale. She can sit off the pace a little bit. And even cutting back, I think she'll be okay here. She's shown a little bit more tactical speed in a couple of her last races. And the five and a half race, she wasn't too far out of it. They just might be going a little faster than where she's been, what she's been dealing with in her last races, a little faster early. That may make her a little farther back. The four summer snow is kind of interesting to me also cutting back. I think that'll give her a little more punch. Six and four all over the place. I even thought the eight as a big long shot was kind of interesting. Bittersweet business. So last two have been going a little longer on the grass. But if you go back and look at the five races, 
in September of last year were not bad. This course broke the maiden there going five, even prior to that sort of involved early on before fading into a tougher spot before the drop. So I might throw the eight in as a long shot in some spots along with the six and the four here. I'm okay playing against rookie court because I'm just, I'm a little concerned about the trip that he may get from the inside that she may get from the inside. It might be tough for her with a lot of speed to the outside. Fifth race, the eight Harper city gets back to the synthetic and cuts back in distance. So I'm expecting a good effort from him. Just not much in this race. When you have a horse like mentoring, who's been your beaten favorite repeatedly, He's been the beaten favorite in five consecutive races. Now he adds the blinkers, one of the faster horses in this race early. He fits. He fits in all the races that he's in. He just doesn't win. The five is Preetza Star. His running style should fit pretty well in here. There's just not a lot of speed in these types of races. You usually want horses who have shown a little bit. He's also shown that he can finish. I think he'll be aggressively handled here. Eight. Whatever you want to do with the three, mentoring. The five is probably a player in here. The four is sort of a wild card with a little bit of speed. And the blinks on getting some class relief. Closing out the Woodbine, pick five is in race number six. I'm going to look at the number six in here. As Malibu Uproar is certainly capable of winning this type of a race. Two starts back. That race would be good enough. Last time out, it really wasn't a bad effort. Desolator just made this really kind of big out of nowhere move. Desolator hadn't won a race in a couple years and then shows up with this monster performance and a speed figure that jumped off the page. Sort of wonder where that came from, from Desolator, who's 8-1 to in here. You could see he hadn't done anything like that in a while. Absolutely flying. Lion Kingdom is one of the safer plays in here, I think. I feel pretty uh, pretty good about what he, we're going to get from him. He's honest. He's going to finish well, and I think he's a really good fit at the level. Drops in class off of a, a good closing effort last time out. So I'll use the 6, the 8, and then the 10. Solar should be pretty close throughout, especially from that outside draw. I think they'll make sure to try to keep him close. wasn't sure what to do with the 2 anymore because I think he's lost a step. He might just be good enough still to beat this field. Lapochka, the 10-year-old, 17-time winner, and he's beaten some of these common rivals recently, but I do think he's a little beyond some of his better. There's a look at the Friday pick five at Woodbine, Friday, September the 22nd. Best of luck, $50,000 early pick five pool to dive on into, and remember, With daily racing form and DRF bets, you can get past performances for free and that deposit match bonus. Good luck on Friday over at Woodbine. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Well, it's been a while since we had a special edition of This Week in Stable Duel. And 
Why not for a big day like Pennsylvania Derby Day over at Parks? Parks is one of the tracks that Stable Duel has a ton of contests all throughout the week. And it is the biggest day of the meet over at Parks with the Cotillion, with the Pennsylvania Derby. They have 10 stakes races on the card. I always have to get my my best bud uh, to talk horse racing. Barry Spears, the sniper. How's it going, my friend? How's your week going? Man, it's been great. You know, another another week and another set of races to to tackle and just all ready for for Saturday in this uh Pennsylvania Derby should be great should be a blast so we're looking at the uh the big details for the stable duel contest there's a $10,000 prize pool in this weekend's Pennsylvania Derby Dash stable duel contest so Barry my friend that's going to be our focus we're going to dive into the daily racing form past performances for all of you you can actually get these for free when you play through DRF bets so sign up through a, with a DRF bets account if you don't have one they give you a $250 deposit match bonus so boom right off the bat you put 250 it's 500 they give you a $10 free bet for registering you got 510 bucks and you have 10 free formulator cards and then every time you bet another 50 bucks you get credit for a formulator card there's also new features too um with the past performances you can pop in between the time form us past performances with the all access feature so if you you know are someone who like me barry i'm still figuring some of the parts of time form us out what's nice is that like i can look at some things here try to like and then make sense of it and then go back real quick to the other pps and and sort of look like look back and forth real quick. They made it really nice and convenient now. Yeah, this it's a great feature because I do a lot of comparisons with with the numbers and and looking at different um, different avenues of of past performances just to get a gauge on on where exactly. things are at. Not all the time, but enough to to kind of understand where everything lies on their their own scales. And and this you could do it. You could just flip flop. That's just, when it's right in it's front perfect. of you too. Yeah, you know it's so it's quick. Great. You just like for a horse here and there, or just for a race where you want to check out the speed, like the pace ratings or the late how it's going to shape up. Um, really, really cool. I actually um went on the Timeform US forecast this week with David Aragona. I was filling in for Craig Milkowski this week, and we talked about the Pick Five for Parks. Uh, this Pick Five coming up, the Philly Big Five has a mandatory payout. Barry and I are gonna give out our best bets throughout the card because for stable duel, it is a contest. They have daily contests there. And it's a contest where the format has a 10 horse stable that you have to build. And it's a salary cap format. So on a day like Saturday at parks where they have 14 races on the card, you don't even have to go through every race. You know, you're going to be skipping a few races. You can really pick and choose and key in on your strong opinions throughout the card. So that's what Barry and I are going to do right now. We're going to try to share some of our best plays throughout the day. And remember, because it's a salary cap format, you're purchasing horses based on their morning line. So you can't just spend up on all the favorites in each and every race. You know, you have to use longer shots in some races. And that's what we're going to try to do here is give you some horses that might be a little outside the box, maybe some that aren't on your radar. Then at the end, we'll go through the last couple big races with the Cotillion and the uh, the Pennsylvania Derby just to give a little preview of the big, big races. So if you have not downloaded the Stable Duel app and you're not playing along, well, this is a good weekend to do so where we have big prize pools at parks to shoot for. Barry, you're going to start us off in race number three early on the card at parks, I believe, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Um, not a typical kind of 
race that you would see. I mean, I guess it's a it's a big day, so you get these kind of uh, inflated purses on these what kind of seems like a, a, a regular race. Yeah. Um, there's there's some maidens in here, you know, very lightly raced uh, two year olds. So these races are typically kind of ones you can get some chaos in, and I think this is definitely one you can. Um, I landed on number nine, Sarani. Yeah. Um, this horse ran pretty good, got carried out in the stretch. Um, you definitely want to keep note of this race that this horse was in because we're going to show the replay in the next one. Um, but this horse was kind of wide, you know, the for most of that race, then got pushed out a little bit wider um, in the stretch. It's like the, the leader kind of angled out. And, and we'll watch this in, in a little bit, but carried the nine out a little bit and ended up winning the race. But the nine ran a great, great race first time out in, a, in you know, a restricted sort of stake race um, that day. Comes back in a similar spot. And I think this horse is definitely going to improve. And just based on like value, you know, this is a horse who was favored in that race, ran well, finishing second, even with some trouble has just the right to improve and now is five to one on the morning line, I guess just cause it's a bigger field and there are a couple others in here, but just based purely on value um, connections too. I'm going to talk about a horse later on the card that uh, Pennington and service team up on. I mean, they just win a ton together. So yeah, they seem pretty live on Saturday. They have, yeah. they have good shots, especially in these sort of races. There's another one. Um, there's a couple of them. Well, because these are, you don't have as many shippers in in these types of races, right? These are the, yep, these same horses that they know that they have a good, uh, a good pulse on. Um, So I, Serrani, the number nine, five to one on the morning line to kick off the no chalk zone edition of this week in stable (laughs) duel for Pennsylvania Derby Day. Barry's going to go to the fifth race, then I'll bounce over to the sixth race. And like we, uh, like I mentioned before, Most of these races on the card are all stakes races. You're going to have five graded stakes races, two grade ones, um, and then a couple other stakes that are basically graded stakes races because they have big purses. Uh, They're just not quite graded yet. So, Barry, you mentioned in the third race that they sort of tied together with another horse that's in this race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The 12 in race five. Now, this is a maiden special weight. Similar conditions. This is a hundred thousand dollar purse, but it's a it's a maiden race, not a, actually a stake race. But you're gonna see it's it's pretty similar. You know, there's not much form to go on. Uh, only a couple of horses ran twice. A couple ran once. One ran three times, and that's pretty much sums up <laughs> the the whole field here. And it's a big field. There's there's thirteen, fourteen signed on with two also eligibles. Um, so, you know, you see what you're going to get here with this hundred thousand dollar maiden race. Um, I like number 12, Miss Ellery. And this horse comes out of that race. If you want to pull up that, that, uh, that replay, we can go over it and you can see exactly, you can see Serrani's trip. Who's so the we're, eight. we're watching that. Yeah. The seven and the eight, right? Miss Ellery is the yes. seven Serrani who we just looked at in that other race is the eight. Mm-hmm. And you'll see early on, once they break the seven just breaks poorly you know, didn't really get bumped around or anything, just slow. And you yeah. see last and, and stays in last for quite a while, but you'll see how this horse makes up ground. 
Um, and you'll see also in this race, Serrani is, is sitting about fifth here on the out, or I mean, I'm sorry, second. I forgot he, he presses this pace. He's second and he's going to get floated. Yeah, he's going to get floated out. I mean, he's a little bit wide here anyway. Uh, on normal parts days, the inside is probably the worst place to be. But I think on Saturday, they, they do a good job with maintenance and they soup up the track a little bit. So it'll be a lot faster and you won't see people kind of out in the middle of the track and during the stretch. Miss um, Ellery like is way out of it here. Yeah, too. she's way back there. And and you'll see she angles out and she comes flying. And you have Durrani here. Look at, how, look at how wide out here in the middle of the track he is, right? Because he's trying to stay to the outside and not have to shift in. So it put him in a really tough spot. Right. And it floated him out enough for him to lose, basically. And here comes Miss um, Ellery. Here, here's Miss Ellery on the in, just flying. And I think that horse figured it out. Yep. Sometime during the race, two strides um, out of second for Miss Ellery. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, right there. I mean, in, even in the form, they they, you know, the second to last call they have, they have her at seven seventh place, ten lengths back, and yep. then the final call four fourth place, two and a quarter lengths. So there was a lot of ground to make up. And I think the horse kind of figured something out. Um, a good work on September 1st out of the gate, 36 uh, flat, was flying late, gets a good local rider now. And I, I think it's go time. Barnes has been very good recently in just a smaller sample size with a couple horses winning their second time out too um, at big prices just like this. So they're going to flatter the ROI and in stable duel at 10 to one. So it'll only cost you a thousand dollars to use in your lineup out of a $50,000 salary cap. So Barry gave you two horses. The five is, uh, would cost you 6,000 and this one would cost you one. So you'd only be at 7,000 using two different horses right there. Oh. And you've got plenty of money left. And that's, what's nice about shows like this or when people give you uh, you know, maybe I'll do some write-ups or different stable dual plays. You can use one or two. You can play a couple different lineups. It'll, they'll just help you in some of the races where you need help, or maybe in spots where you need a spot or two. Maybe you bet these horses to win. If you're playing all throughout the day, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives. It is worth mentioning the forecast. It's supposed to start. It's supposed to be rainy. Oh. Now, Okay. Um, it's supposed to be like that all over the East coast this weekend. Oh it's, yeah. To because me, of that hurricane. <laughs> it, it's really hard to me when that happens to project things. Um, we, what we can do is make adjustments when we know what happens that day, but to start saying, well, this horse might come in, this horse might be out if it's because all sorts of stuff happens when yeah. races are changed. So I just try to look at them like what we know when we need to make adjustments then it's fine to go through your handicapping and maybe make note of horses who have success on off tracks and might be horses you want to upgrade. If that does happen, I'm, I'm always fine with that, but just thought it was worth mentioning. Cause I did see the, the notes about the weather possibly coming up this weekend. Barry gives you a nice 10 to one shot there in the fifth. I'll move right next door. And we are going to look at uh, some familiar connections that we were just speaking about in race number six. It's, the Plum Pretty, $100,000 for Pennsylvania bred fillies and mares. I'm going to the number six gunfire gal who is 12 to one on the morning line. So okay. we can look at this filly who's, she had a good 2022, really nice year last year. She wins her first couple starts. Then in back-to-back -back races, she's second. She crushes by seven here at parks in the slop. And then in her final race of the year, 
She finishes fourth. It's a stakes race, though. It's actually against Open Company. Um, and she faces a good group. It was over at Mahoning. Uh, Disco Ebo was, like, really, really sharp for a while and won, like, I think three in a row and, like, five or six out of seven races. So faced a nice horse who got really, really good. And that was at the end of the year. Um, now, following that, she's off from November to August. So we're talking nine months and basically the entire part of her four-year-old year so far. So there's probably been some growth, some development, some maturity. And on August the 21st, she came back. She ran in the stakes race and she ran like exactly how you would expect for a horse coming off the bench. She looked like she may have needed the race, but she was still sort of trying late. She just didn't have that full late burst. And now she's going to stretch out. What I think is interesting is just looking at her pedigree. You know, her dam was good going long, was a winner going a little bit longer. And when you look at her siblings, well, that also seemed to be the case. You know, she's a half to a horse named Street with no name, who we saw win a stakes race at Santa Rosa, who we saw win a first level allowance on the turf going long at Del Mar. So I actually think she's a little bit interesting stretching out. I'm looking at this field, I think stretching out. She actually might be the fastest in here. You know, she's a horse who's shown legitimate sprint speed before, but she has a bunch of versatility to her. I could see them being really aggressive with her in here because there's not all that much other, like the other horses who have shown speed have shown more route speed and they're more like routers with tactical speed. Um, I think she's just kind of fun. She's interesting. I think she's too high of a price at 12 to one just off these connections alone, Barry. So uh, 750 bucks to use in your stable dual lineup. Gunfire gal is one for me. The six in race number six. Yeah. The race dynamics kind of set up in this horse's favor. I mean, really only one horse to beat, which would be the two. Yeah. Um, beat to the punch. And I think definitely that horse is faster. <laughs> I think so too. And, and, has the ability to sit off if need be. So if she wants to go and the two goes and then she's going to sit off a little bit, I think that's fine. Gunfire gal, 12 to 1. Maybe a nice horse to use in your stable dual lineups. I've got one more in the ninth and then we'll move to some of the bigger stakes races. The ninth race is the Alphabet Soup. Loved me some Alphabet Soup. Young Gino going to Santa Anita. Yeah, man. Soup man. Um, so this is a mile in the 16th on the turf course here. The way I'm looking at this race, you know, four harp is pretty quick and stretching out from sprint races. So he's going to be flying in here early. You've got a horse, even like market Maven who wants to be close up and kind of pressing. You've got, um, DJ who's really fast, wants to be right on the lead. The favorite Landon C wants to be right on the lead can sit off a little bit. Right there, there's four horses that are pretty fast. Um, you look towards the outside, I wouldn't be shocked to see Fierce and Strong stretching back out from a sprint race, you know, towards, towards the outside. Um, so looks like there could be a good amount of speed in here. I, I'm trying to find even the you know, 11. The, the 11. And because they're wide, right? They have to they have to get over to at least try not to get hooked so wide. So I could see them really flying in here. And the horse who I kept coming back to was a horse who's actually never tried the turf. Uh, King Kumbale, who's been in New York and sort of all over the place, but now has come back to parks. So in his last start, he was behind by land and sea. But in a smaller field, he's always going to lose to a horse like by land and sea, who just has a little bit more tactical speed than him. 
right? Who Who's going to be in front of him. This is the type of race that'll probably be better for a deeper closer to have a little more pace to run at. So I'm looking at his races for the new barn since coming into the Robert Reed Jr. barn. Going six and a half, looked like he just sort of was a little short in a prep race, and it was his first start in a couple months. And then look at the progression he's shown in his last two. Uh, good effort, finishing second. Actually took another step forward in that stakes race when finishing third. He was behind by land and sea. Nimitz class is running later on uh, in a stakes race against really nice company. And King Kumbale will try the grass for the first time. So his profile, he fits with the running style. Now I'm just going to ask, will he like the grass? His dam was a winner on the turf. And he had two siblings that tried the grass. One of them was named Brevard Place, who didn't win on the turf, but actually won on the hurdles. Uh, that, that's got to count for something, right? I was going to say. The horse count didn't, twice. didn't hate the grass is my point here, right? So... uh <laughs> And then we have another turf winner down here with Jaluka. So we have a sibling that won on the turf, the dam one on the turf. This horse fits the profile with his running style. The real key is just, does he transfer it over? Right? Cause if he just runs the same types of speed figures, he's been running on the dirt on the turf, he fits right here and he could get Solid. the trip. Mm. It's just a, that's built into his price because he's 10 to one on the morning line. So we have some variables here built in, but you're getting a nice price on a horse who should like the grass, who should get a trip and who's running the best races, you know, recently for this new barn. He had a couple of good races down here at Aqueduct too, you know, behind bourbon calling and back-to-back races. He's always been pretty solid. Yeah. Keeping good company the whole time you know? too. So it just comes down to the trip. Now he's become for this barn, They've changed his tactics a little bit. He's been more of a closer, and I think that's what will fit here. King Kumbale, 10 to 1 on the morning line, will only cost you 1000 in your stable dual lineup. Uh, let's just sort of kind of quickly hit on the next uh, set of races as we go along. The Dirt Mile has Gunite, and they're going to try to use this one, Barry, as a prep for the Dirt Mile again. They went to the Dirt Mile last year. It's It's... For Steve Asmussen, it's an embarrassment of riches, right? He's got to separate <laughs> some of his good sprinters. He's got Echo Zulu. And I I was reading an article in the, the DRF, and he, he sort of – he didn't mean to say. He said, I love Gunite. I'm the biggest Gunite fan in the world. <laughs> but I can tell you, we've worked Gunite against Echo Zulu, and I know who's faster. <laughs> so he just yeah. basically laid it out there and said – I don't think Gunite's going to go by Echo Zulu, but maybe this will be a better spot where you can have horses win separate races. He was fourth in the Dirt Mile last year. It wasn't like he ran a bad race there. Um, it, I just sort of wonder with him, he's not really been like a one like a go to the lead type horse, right? He just did it last time because it right, worked he in just that fell race into it, yeah, against Elite Power. He's mainly been a horse who likes to sit off and have a target and sit just off the pace. I, but I think going a mile, it's probably better for him to try to get to the lead. Cause I don't I, know. I right. So too. Yeah. I don't know if he can sit. Cause last year he did it exactly in the dirt mile. He sat off. He sort of loomed up to the lead, but those horses who are more milers or like mile and an eighth horses who have a little more foundation. Once they start building up, they, they go by him. I think, I don't know if he wants to sit and go by. I think he's better off just trying to stretch him out. Um, well, I mean, as as it stands in this race, it this looks race, like he's the it, he he's the best, right? I don't yeah, think he's he, the best, and I think what's going to happen is I think they're going to sit off of the three Mish Mish. 
Because um, Mission because- Nimitz class is the key. Because I wonder with Paco aboard, it, and the last two races for Nimitz class, he was a little farther back. Yeah, I could see him trying to get aggressive too and just be right back there on the but lead. But his where- route races, his like most of his races going this same distance aren't as fast as no. Gunite's. Like, no, they're not going, going, going. Definitely not. And Gunite comes out of quicker races for sure. For me, it's more of like I wonder with intent. Um, but yeah, Mish- yeah, they're gonna have to try to do something because you know, obviously, I would think they they would believe that they're better or a a faster horse at this distance than Mish. Yeah. So I, I would say the game plan is probably to sit off a of Mish as well and try to take over and get the jump on on Gunite. But yeah. I don't, you know, it's a tough task. He's the classiest um, for sure. Like he, yeah. I mean, based on what he's been facing. It'd been really good. The horses who, I mean, if you're looking to beat who who are sort of intriguing, like trip horses, I thought, let's say they go fast and we're looking for horses from off the pace. Wheel and Springs is in a really nice form right now. Those three races at Monmouth are nice. And he was behind proxy in one of them. And proxy was second in the grade one jockey club, gold club. So that's like a legitimate horse to have lost to. And then the one that was like the wild card that I think is a little bit intriguing is actually the mayor, um, Dr. B she might be able to sit like an okay trip. The, the time that we saw her go a mile, she was on the lead and she won a grade three and she did it really impressively. She's chased, look at her last four races, you know, Echo Zulu, Echo Zulu, Good Night, Olive. And then the vagrancy was her first start of the year. And she was a pretty solid second in that race, you know, in her first start in five months. If yeah. I, like, if I'm looking for a price, this was the one that I thought was like, hmm, you know? Yeah, she's it's definitely she's, interesting. She's got capable races, but the race no doubt goes through Gunite and what he's done. Like it's really just tough to knock anything he's done over the last couple of years. You know, it's for this, yeah, it's, it's just, just it, does he want to go the mile? Um, a, a horse that I thought may rate a good chance as, as the now horse would be the one uh, civil war. You can see in the, in the form that uh, this horse ran a pretty big number last time after you know second off the bench sometimes that could translate especially when if if the pace heats up a little bit this horse could probably pick up some pieces i'm not sure about winning this race obviously because i think gunite is kind of a standout here but you know to complete a try or an exacta civil war might be the one let's uh keep rolling along to race number 11 that's the grade two gallant bob Barry has a play in this one. It's a always a fun three-year-old sprint race. And <clears throat> Barry, talk to us about how you see this race playing out. All right. Hear me out. Hear me out. I, I'm, I'm going with 90% Maddie. Who's I knew you were going to be get here. And I couldn't. Me and David, <laughs> when we talked about this race, we both mentioned this is a long shot and a horse that we're like really trying to get to. And we can at least use in under spots. So, yeah. yeah talk to us here. I think this horse merits a, a, a better chance than what it looks like on paper. Now, if you see from January this year to the present, this horse has been going a mile and eighth, a mile and 70, and a mile and the 16th, showing speed that whole time. Now the cutback, and I think this might be a better distance for this horse in general anyway, and he has some races that could actually win this that in the past. So the long branch, the Federico Tessio, yeah. those are really solid races. You're right. Um, 
And I think the cutback will do this horse a lot, a lot of good here. And, you know, there's horses in this race like Damon's Mound who you really can't trust. How can you trust that horse? My, my, my price. Yeah, the horse who I like is is the five. And I think we're, we're expecting trips that are probably similar. I think yeah. he's just sort of a, a horse that's going to sit off the pace because I'm looking at Rivet based on his last two races where he wasn't able to get to the lead. Like he sat a perfect trip in that last race and he loomed up and he just couldn't go by. So I think they're going to try really hard to get back to the lead with him. Like he's done in a few. And I think that for sure the seven's got to go. Sir Lancelot, like hands down has to. And then Damon's mound was actually in front of rivet last time. And that worked out well for him. So I feel like they probably will want to be aggressive again because it worked out well last time getting aggressive after he hadn't won in what five races in a row after winning a grade two early on in his career. So I think those three will at least be forward. So I'm looking for horses that are going to be behind them from slightly off the pace. And I think the two that we mentioned are both going to be sitting that exact trip, like probably in that next tier of horses. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly it. And you know, I gave the nod <laughs> to the one just pretty much basically because of the post position. Yeah. Um, the price is great and the cutback's nice and Paco's aboard. So he should get the horse involved early. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there's a nice workout on the 16th in preparation for this. I, I think this horse is going to um, sit a really good trip and, and have something to say about it. I mean, even in the last race, Emil Colo is kind of a hot horse. Has been Yeah, he's running in the, great in the Pennsylvania form. Derby. Exactly. He's been in great form. Wasn't embarrassed that, you know, that day, just probably out of his scope. I, I, I really don't think this horse is a, is a really a, a miler. This this seven furlong trip is six, seven is probably in that horse's wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we'll give a good account of himself on Saturday. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking at Nautical Star for that sort of trip. He's a lightly raced horse who his whole career makes sense. They debut, came out the pace, solid fourth, second start, breaks his maiden at Oaklawn. And then he moved into a new barn and they said they took a shot in the Florida Derby and they took a big swing there. It's funny Look at how strong the Florida Derby has come back. Oh, so yeah. There have, there have been five next out winners um, and two next out runner ups. Forte didn't win his next start, but he was second in the Belmont second. off yeah. that long layoff. Remember, he missed time in the Derby. Mage comes out of the Florida Derby and wins the Kentucky Derby. You've got Fort Bragg, who you loved and had oh, that man. brutal beat in the Pat Day Mile coming out of the, floor, <laughs> the Florida Derby. He got a wicked beat finishing second that day behind General Jim. He ran his eyeballs out. You got Il Miracolo, who comes out of the Florida Derby to win a first-level allowance next time out. And he's become, as you mentioned, really, really honest. West Coast Cowboy, following the Florida Derby, he's running. he on wins Saturday his next start. Too. And a uh, first-level allowance. Five next-out winners, two next-out runners-up coming out of that, way, that race. And then he's off. They bring him back. And on August the 18th, he gets a nice prep. For this second start off the bench, I think Nautical Star is a little bit interesting. He's nine to two. He's like a for, for me. He was a fun play in the pick five sequence. If oh, you're yeah. playing that that Philly big five, definitely got to use that one horse to toss in. Let's get to the big ones, Barry. Let's get to races uh, twelve and thirteen. Talk to us about the Grade One Cotillion with pretty mischievous the two to one morning line favorite. 
Yeah, this this race seems like it's going to be very, very chalky because Pretty Mischievous is far and away the class of this field and probably will get a great trip to boot. Um, another horse you can't trust, Hooser Philly, who shows up sometimes, sometimes she doesn't. I don't know which one's going to show up, but should have his, her hands full. Yeah, because um, the two is know, faster. Exactly. Ceiling Crusher is faster than her. That's my issue is that I just don't think Hoosier, Hoosier Philly is close to as fast. I don't think she likes sitting off either that much. And she seems like one of those horses, Barry, who was good early at two and just really hasn't taken that next step forward and progressed that much. Right. Kind of like the kid in, in, in elementary school that grew faster or than everybody. Before everybody else. And then everybody yep. else just catches up a little bit yep. later. Yep. Um, you tell them, you're like, don't pick on me right <laughs> now, man, because I'm going to catch you next year and I'm going to run circles around you. Don't do it. Don't That's do it, it, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's there's quite a bit of speed. A cult yeah. probably will show some speed. Um, th- even on the outside. going to be close. Yeah. All, like going to push the pace and then sit close. Majestic Creed's going to go. Um, I think Ceiling Crusher is only, she's in here to be going. Like yes, she, because she, when she sat two starts back, it didn't work for her. Edwin, they put him aboard. Like, so she's going to make sure this is an honest and an honest pace. I could see three or four horses winning this race, but I, they're like, none of them are incredibly creative. I guess if I was playing from stable duel, I would probably play just play Catherine. Six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Based on the, the price, six. because I don't think she'll be that price. I think no. she'll probably be closer to six to one, five to one. Yeah, right. That, that, that makes sense. That, yeah. And that, I think. Because to me, you were sort of hitting the nail on the head, I think. It feels like it's pretty mis- pretty mischievous. And then there's like four or five other horses that are all in that next tier where like if she gets beat, I could see I could see it being Ceiling Crusher running away and hiding. I could see it being a cult getting a nice trip sort of developing. I could see it being just Catherine or Defining Purpose. But like they would need to improve. Pretty mischievous probably needs to take a step forward, like down. But it does seem like it's her and then that next tier in the in this race, at least. Yeah. I mean, honestly, my intent right now on Thursday is to bet a giant exact <laughs> with pretty mis- mischievous and just Catherine. But, yeah, you know, a- unless just Catherine just gets crushed in, in his like second choice, that won't happen. But um, that, I mean, that that's all it looks like to me. I, I guess defining purpose is OK and can run good she, races at she's times fine. But yeah but she's not like a sexy horse gonna to be, bet at four to one right. or like in that range right she's honest she she'll put herself in a good spot all the time right she yes, sort of always sits good trips and um like she'll show up but she just yeah like i, I have her in a fantasy league and she's nice because she'll pick she picks up points for she picks you, up you chats. Know? yeah um, and i and that's like you like having a four to one shot in a grade one like this but i I'd prefer a couple others on the win end. Like we're talking just Catherine, even occult. Um, I would give a little bit more of a look to coming off that big win, but just mm-hmm. Catherine's sort of the fun value horse. I think if you're looking for one in here, she chased randomized two starts back who came back to win a grade one. She was behind sunset Louise and sacred wish. Uh, they both came back to win sacred wish. Just won a stakes on the turf also. So she's kept some pretty good company and um, she's sort of the fun maybe like interesting, maybe stable to a horse in this race. If you're playing it from that perspective. Oh yeah. I mean, the betting is probably going to get a little weird here because after 
pretty mischievous. It's really wide open. I think everybody's going to be around the same price between like five and I agree. 12 to one in that range. Yep. So it, it should be interesting to see who ends up being an overlay, especially in the exactas. Let's get to the big one on Pennsylvania Derby Day. It is the grade one Pennsylvania Derby. Now, I will say, like, the difference between the Cotillion and the Pennsylvania Derby, the Cotillion has a little more quality or, like, a little more of, like, pretty mischievous is at the top top of the three-year-old division. And then you have a couple others, like a ceiling crusher. Who, star power there. Who could yeah. be there. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, a couple other proven horses. This one is, uh, is a little bit more of the later developing three-year-olds. We don't have as many of the horses that have that resume, right? Forte's not in here. We don't have Archangelo. We don't have Mage. We don't have any of the big classic winners. But we do have a couple talented horses. We've been talking about uh, Il Miracolo, who won the local prep, the Smarty Jones, Reincarnate. I think the line will be flipped in here. But I don't know. Maybe Baffert's will take money. But I figured Saudi Crown, just off of the speed figures that were much better, was going to take more money than Reincarnate. But reincarnate and uh, and Saudi Crown are the two that are your morning line favorites in here. So I guess from a discussion point, we can start with them. Saudi Crown beat your boy or was right behind your boy Fort Bragg in the Dwyer, and then uh. he had a a tough beat in the slop in the Jim Dandy when Forte came and got him right on the money. So you know he's, I think he's the horse to beat more than reincarnate. Um, but I, I guess it is those two, and then. I sort of see it as like those two and then the tier below from a gambling standpoint or anything, it might be a little bit different. Talk to us some of your feelings on this one, Barry. Well, you know, what's funny about reincarnate is you see Baffert horses when they, <clears throat> when they start running, they run. Like when he sends them out there, they're running and they usually don't, you know, fluctuate or jump up or down points uh, speed figure wise too much. Reincarnate just never got over the hump, in my opinion. I, I think I, I just don't like this horse at all. Unless something miraculously happens, I don't know. I, I just don't think that horse is good enough. Um, yeah, there's been the rumors that he's like, you know, and I've seen some of his works that he's training and going up. And we know Baffert's done that with many horses through the years where they've sure. gotten better. I don't know if he was as good as some of those horses to start though. That's what, that's what I was getting at is I don't, I don't think he, he was, he was a B teamer from the start and there was some horses that didn't pan out for whatever reason. And this is what he's left with. Um, Not a bad horse by any means. No, I'd love to be the horses that I'm thinking about are like authentic or arrogate or like, you know, some of those horses for him that were a little bit later developing speed, three year old horses, but, and you could see where he would make tweaks in the training of them a lot of times too. And they would get just faster or bigger, or sometimes it'd be, they'd, they could raid a little bit, but you could just see things visually different with the horses. And, sure. and, and that may be the case with him. And if it is, and I'm wrong, I'm okay with, with being yeah, wrong. Because at you like know he's going to be two. short. He's going to you know, be short like, price. Yeah. So if that happens, I, I'm okay with it. Um, the, the horse that intrigues like a lot of speed here. Yeah. And I think beca- of because of that, because of the variable of like of the reincarnate and he's drawn outside too. So I think he's got to go at least from, yeah, I don't think Baffert's going. not going to want to have this horse to be <laughs> sick way off the pace. Um, I'm getting back to Scotland, you know, cause I think he's got some versatility to him. That's the key. They just seem like they wanted the lead in the Travers and 
it didn't work out for them there. And in the in the Curlin race, that was a field of five. He was a horse who just got aggressively handled. But he's shown in his first three races, he came from off the pace in all of them. And I just don't think he's as fast as the other horses. Like he's not as fast as Saudi Crown. And he's not as fast as reincarnate early, I don't think. I think they're going to be sent. I'd love to see him sitting. And that would be, for me, the kind of intriguing horse in here that might sit a trip. Do you like anyone or have any sort of opinion in here? Absolutely. Always. Um, I was under, you know, I'm starting to, to, to be a conspiracy theorist when it comes to horse racing. And something may be telling me that reincarnate is in here as a or could be a rabbit for gilmore and i think gilmore deserves another shot at this at this level um i I think the horse was kind of not where he should have been in the middle of his career here so like the bayshore pat de mile woody stevens i think this horse likes to go longer than that and i think this is a good spot um, you know, he's not really, it's funny because, you know, his speed figures, like he, he can be in some fast races, but he's not a fast horse early. Correct. Right. So I think those sprint races, they, he, it asks a lot They're of him. Better than up. they look. Yeah. And I him. think he, he has to work a little hard early. I think in those races, just keeping up. And it, I think it does take a little too, too much out of him there. And, uh. Gold jacket, green jacket. <laughs> yeah, we were doing all the happy Gilmore puns with this one last year, I think, in one of those. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, he was supposed but, to run a, or at Golden Gate when he ran second. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. And the yep, Camino, yeah, yeah. And El Camino Real. Yeah. You know, but this horse has been running well in, in spots that I don't think really suited this horse. And I think this situation, if reincarnate, which will probably happen, this pace is going to heat up. And, and I think. Gilmore might be a beneficiary. Another horse, um, Daydreaming Boy, could do it. Although, out of a lesser barn, I wouldn't necessarily think Daydreaming Boy could win this race. Um, but I think he could give a good account of himself based on the scenario in play. And then Croupy is another one that kind of fits that mold, who definitely needs to step up and do something more. But he's moving forward. Yeah. But he has. Yeah. I mean, he was okay. He's been okay for a while. He's just kind of running over his head. You see instant coffee, disarm, uh, the horse Mahoney, Angel Empire. I love that horse. He was like one of those horses when he won, I thought was going to be big. And then he was off for a long time. He showed up really late. Like he just wasn't quite the same horse when he showed back up, but he was a big winner, like a really impressive winner that day. And you know, what what I like is he kind of circled back to that 87. He ran when, yeah, um, that's a good point. Broke his maiden. Yep. And that to me signs that he's on the improve and he's probably got another move up. And hey, look, a positive as we're talking about it, if it is on a sloppy track on Saturday. That'll he, definitely help right? him out. He just came off of a good effort in that sloppy track and where he showed you he could sit pretty close and finish nicely, finish nicely going a mile in an eighth. So that would be an extra positive for him and a horse you'd maybe want to upgrade there on uh, on Karupi. So a look at Saturday at Parks, 14 races on the card. And once again, a $10,000 prize pool in the Pennsylvania Derby Dash to shoot for in that stable duel contest. Barry, yes, talk sir. to the folks out there uh, about 
uh, going in circles, big Mondays, and anything else that you've got uh, going on right now? Yeah, going in circles, big Monday. Every Monday comes out on Tuesday. Typically, it's usually Monday night, but we won't go there. Um, but we got some new exciting stuff coming up. We got a website um, revamped that's coming out soon, probably within the next month or so. And uh, things are looking up. Saw some spaces you guys are doing also. Oh, yeah. Uh, you and we, we got a little involved with the uh, Game of Silks. Awesome. Um, which is a very interesting thing. I mean, and, and it opens up horse racing to a new audience. Um, basically, like, uh, <laughs> what is it? Like like cryptocurrency nerds that sure. are involved, and they like it. They love it. They love getting into the pedigrees. And, you know, basically this the game is starting from ground zero where they're, they're basically buying horses that are two-year-olds. And the two-year-old races that actually run on the track – are in the game and they get paid accordingly, you know, purses and, and everything in cryptocurrency. So it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, if you can check it out, get involved. Um, but it's definitely something to see. It's, it's definitely a, a futuristic thing that we're involved in now. Make sure to give Barry a follow there on, uh, on Twitter. Great to interact with great to talk racing with funny memes and <laughs> gifts and uh, a great follow. Crying Jordan. I'm so that's his that's his calling card. That's the calling card. If one of your teams gets knocked out of the playoffs and you're mad, turn off Twitter for a day or two. Wait till it comes down, then you can see it back. Because it's like when I know the Lakers are out, and I'm like, oh, I don't even want to look at the sniper till tomorrow. Then I'll then I'm like, okay, I've I've slept on it. I'm okay now. I can see I can see LeBron in the crying Jordan right now, or poor Austin Reeves with tears running down oh, his face, man. or one of them. So, uh, my friend. This has been a blast. This summer, it's been a little different for us because we've we lost the guy the, too. We, oh yeah, our buddy Matty, and but he's been right? doing some great work. With, yeah, with excellent Matt, work with Matt DeSantis over uh, over in the NYRA. But we've really covered so much ground. Like another different track today that we were we've been able to to discuss. So yeah, um, that's what's cool. Whatever some of the big races are, Barry's helped me out all summer long. We've talked about him, and now, man, think about it coming up. We'll have Santa Anita opening back up, Keeneland opening up and we get that those couple weekends where you have that last oh, yeah. round of Kentucky Derby or uh, breeders cup prep races. So oh, that'll yeah. be a blast. Like there's one of those days where it's like five at Santa Anita, five at Keeneland, five at Bel- four at Belmont and Aqueduct. So um, the, the next six weeks now between now and the breeders cup are an absolute br- a blast. We get that last round of preps and I'm actually going to be, I become a hermit. I'm going to be making an appearance at the Breeders' Cup this year. I'm All be, right. That's what's I'm up. I've never been. Work. I'm trying I, to get to one. I've awesome. never been. Yeah, I went a few times back years ago and when they've been at Santa Anita. And I I went once or twice, um, I think, doing some work. But I'll, I'll be working, doing some work for DRF this time. So um, I'm not sure exactly how much I'll be needed early in the week, maybe even at the draws and and some of the stuff uh, throughout. So, That's it's, cool, man. you know, it's, it's nice because I just let um, – them know my parents live five minutes away from Santa Anita, you know, <laughs> so I can take advantage of it being close yeah, and being go right back there. and forth. Yeah. I don't have to worry about hotels or like driving far away or sitting in a bunch of traffic or anything like that. So, you know what? I might as well take advantage yeah. when it's close and, uh, and get out there as much as I can. Maybe I'll even have a bring Milo out. One I was going to say you, Milo. Week. Yeah. Get we'll get him here. out there for a day. Cause he, he's actually never been to the track. Never oh, so far. Wow. Yeah. Cause I'm so like now it's so easy for me to sit home and like do all my work oh, and watch man. the races and play that. Like if I don't really, if I didn't have a reason to a lot of times, I'm just, it I'm won't. chilling at home. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, so, that's uh, like me. You know, it, it's like, I know the tracks are farther away from me, but 
it's the same sort of deal. Even when I was close to one, <laughs> it was yeah. like, if, yeah. if I had to go, I'd go. If not, I'd be on my phone. <laughs> yep. So, uh, will be a lot of fun. If anyone's going to be out there, love to say hello to, uh, to you. And if you're coming in from, uh, out of town and stuff, actually know the area pretty well. I can give you some nice places to maybe go eat. That's I have a couple of fun places. Uh, uh, I, I owe you, you a know. dinner yeah. or two anyway. So oh yeah. Good. We, we owe each other. So we'll go back and <laughs> forth. You'll pay one for me. I'll pay one for you and we'll even out. And, uh, that's what's up. Well, folks, thanks so much for hanging out with us again. Um, next week, we'll have another uh, track that we'll take a look at. And make sure to give Barry a follow. Give me a follow. And we love talking races with all of you. Most importantly, this weekend, play in the Big Stable Duel Contest at Parks. If you ever have any questions about Stable Duel and how to sign up, how to build a lineup, what exactly you're doing when you're putting it together, I'd love to help you out. Uh, Barry's played many oh, yeah. times. He can answer any questions that you may have. And we got to give a shout out to one of my good friends. He does a lot of the music for me. He was a part oh, yeah. of our stable dual live streams every week. We knew Joey Cleveland was about to come when that song was coming at the very beginning. That stable dual anthem. Here it comes once again. Fantasy comes true. But no, 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 stable duel. Download the stable duel app. Woodbine Saturday Pick 5 has a pool of $100,000. It's a guarantee, and it starts every Saturday and every Sunday in race number two. So you can always play that Pick 5 at Woodbine with a $100,000 guarantee on Saturday and on Sunday. Remember, you can play at Woodbine for a 20-cent-based wager, and if you're playing with DRF bets, you can get past performances for free because right away they'll give you 10 of them as soon as you sign up. Right off the bat, to make a deposit match bonus of two all the way up to 250, use the promo code winning when you do. And then every time you bet 50 bucks, you will get credit for a DRF pass performance for a card. One card is one track for that day. We're going to look at the card for Woodbine right now for Saturday, November the 23rd. It's actually a big Saturday up at Woodbine because it's the Mohawk Millions on su- on Saturday in the harness world. I think it's Canada's richest night of racing. A couple massive harness races up there. If you're a harness racing fan, could be a huge day. Play the, the day card at Woodbine, and it leads right into the night racing, harness racing. I've played many early pick fives up there at Woodbine. They always have the early pick five in harness racing is $100,000 up there too. So big pools all day. Let's talk thoroughbreds right now. Let's talk Saturday, September the 23rd, and let's talk race number two as we look at the sequence here. I'm going to start with the number six, Sugar is Golden. And honestly, this might be this might be a situation where I get bold and just single right off the bat. Because to me, there are three horses that are on my radar a little bit. The 5-0 Heavens is the horse to hold off, getting a little class relief. He always comes running, but with his running style, Sometimes it's just too late. 
Sugar is golden. I feel like will sit the perfect trip. We can watch his last race, which was on September the 10th. So he's wheeling back in, you know, less than a couple of weeks pretty quickly, but I think he's just doing well. And I feel like he's going to sit in a really nice spot. And I've said he a few times and it's she, this four-year-old Philly sugar is golden, who is the number two in the race. We're watching right now. She was inside and she was in a little bit tight and it wasn't the most comfortable spot for her. And a lot of times horses will really check and take back. And then you can just tell they're uncomfortable following that. But I like how she settled. She just seems like a, a pretty nice, calm four-year-old filly. Because she wanted to go. She was rank. And they got her to settle down nicely, Dad Flores. And she was able to track sitting third just behind. And when she asked, when they asked her, she responded. And she ran down the leader that day. Thought it's a good performance. So we see her now really settling nicely in third. And you could tell she's traveling well. She wants to go. She's got to sort of wait a bit for some room. Waits, waits, waits. Now there's the opening there so she can really shoot through with her momentum. And she can try to come around and get to the leader here. And that's exactly what she does. I thought Sugar is golden ran well. She does take a little while to try to get by the stubborn foe Olympic fencer who ends up finishing second. But Sugar is golden. Good performance, and I'm thinking she sits that same type of trip in here. I'm looking at, you know, two, you know, one or two other speeds, and maybe she just sits right behind them. Sugar is golden. Like her here, the eight airy fairy, if they go too quick, she just won at the level, and she could get a nice trip like last out. I've got the six all over the place. If you wanted to go deeper, it would be eight and five for me. Or, excuse me, it would be, uh, yeah, eight and five airy fairy. And oh heavens. Let's continue on to race number three. Five furlongs on the turf. I thought the six was a little or the the six is the horse to beat, no doubt, just on time. The horse to catch and to beat, drawn to the outside, cutting back. I think she's gonna be tough. The four, also logical short price. This barn is really good off a long layoff. She'll be making her first start of the year. She hooked some nice horses last year here. Behind collecting Flatter, who came back to win next out. And then Cairo Consort got so good. And we saw in a bunch of stakes race, stakes races down at you know, Gulfstream Park in early 2023. Cairo Consort, who ended up finishing second in the Nibitalma, third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. And then we saw win the sweetest Chan, uh, Sweet Chan and the, uh, the Ginger Brew and was super competitive against Graden Stakes Company. So... Film faced some good ones, and I'm expecting this horse to be live. The Of the field, though, the, the horse who's a price that I will throw in is the one El Monte Princess. She's a half to a three-time turf winner. You can just click on the pedigree and see this is her dam. She never tried the turf. But of her direct siblings, here's Pretty Master, who is a three-time turf winner and showed some good success on the grass. So those are there wasn't much uh, other turf experience, even from a lot of her direct siblings. But just the fact that she can show um, some nice bloodlines on the grass. She exits a live race where the winner, unified front, just cruised, then came right back to win their next start. And I actually thought El Monte Princess ran sort of deceivingly well in there. She was last after a slow start. She was about seven lengths off. She moved all the way up to third inside, but... She sort of ran her race there, getting back into contention, and the top couple had separated, in particular Unified Front, who ended up cruising to victory. 
So I'll, I'll use one, six, and four all over in race number three. Fourth race, $7,500 beaten claimers in here. The five speedy river looks like the one to catch and beat. The horse who I'm the most intrigued by from a wagering standpoint, though, is the nine. Just going to see what price they end up. This is a six-year-old. He missed over a year of, of his career. So he was off from July of 2022 last year to just earlier this month. And he showed a little bit of positional speed and then just backed up. Basically, they used the race like a workout. And he's back now. Second start off the long layoff. Kimura jumps aboard. And he's shown like a really nice running style throughout most of his career where he puts himself in striking range. He sits a couple lengths off. And if it's his day or he gets the type of trip, he can really put forth a good effort. And I'm expecting a good effort now making the second start back with Kimura jumping aboard, drawn to the outside. So that's the trip we want to see him sit, sit third or fourth in here about two lengths off, off of Speedy River, who should be setting the pace. I'll use the five and the nine in race number four. Fifth race, Saturday at Woodbine. We've got maiden two-year-old Phillies going five and a half on the synthetic. I'm going to look towards the outside. In particular, the number 11 will be my top selection, tabloid material. This barn has done really, really good work as of late with their first-time starters. Take a look. So the recent first-time starters, the last six horses they've sent out as first-time starters over the last year, calendar year. So dating back to last year, September the 16th, second, first, 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 second, second. All six of their first-time starters that they've sent out have run first or second. All of them are coming out running. And then this – so when I'm looking at first-time starters or um, in races where you have horses that don't have a lot of experience, it's kind of a checklist I'm looking for, right? Especially if you can't see the workouts, because if you can watch the workouts, you also you always want to watch the workouts too and see if you can get a good look at what the horses look like in the mornings. If you can't, you're looking at pedigree, you're looking at trainer statistics, you're looking at you know jockey trainer combinations, you're looking at uh, a few different things, right? When you don't have any sort of races to watch or workouts to watch, so we checked the barn. They've had a really nice meet, and they've done really well with all their first-time starters as of late. What I like, too, is this damn while she never won when she was racing, she's dropped a lot of winners. All six siblings that she's produced have won, and five of the six horses are multiple winners. And they have five winner, five-time wins, four wins, four wins, five wins, six wins. So horses who were all around, who, were, who raced, who won a, quite a bit, I'll be using the 11 tabloid material on the pick five. The other two are horses that just make sense coming off their debut races, both the seven Mo money for Roe, who flashed some early speed there against tougher now drops in class. And then you have silent attack who was forwardly placed and ran pretty well, finishing third there from the rail 11, eight, seven in race number five. Let's close out the Saturday pick five at Woodbine seven furlongs on the turf. Three-year-olds and up started for a claiming price of five or less over the last couple of years or a 10 claiming price. Eight and nine all over for me. The nine is definitely the horse to beat. Guildsman is in fantastic form right now. He's won back-to-back races and he fits here, right? He's he's the one they'll all have to worry about. I thought the eight was kind of interesting. Dot's vision. I think he may go a little under the radar because his 
recent success has been at Fort Erie and a lot of his grass success has been over there, but you know, he's an 11 time winner. If you watch some of those races, they're, they're good. He has early speed too. He can, he can go fast. If there's not that much in the, in the race, he can sit off. He can actually close a little bit too. So I'm going to throw the eight in along with the nine, the three is the other horse that a lot will be using in master spy, but I'll, I'll try to uh, just get out of this one with the eight and the nine. There's a little look at the pick five for Saturday at Woodbine, Saturday, September the 23rd. If you are looking at parks for Saturday, there's a big day of racing there. Um, I recorded earlier a show with Barry Spears. We talked about a lot of the parks card and we looked at it from a a stable duel standpoint, which is the, the horse racing contest. So we gave out some of our best bets. I also joined David Aragona on the podcast this week, the Time Form U.S. podcast to preview the late pick five from Parks. So if you need any help playing Parks, a couple different things to check out. And if you're listening on the podcast, that's what G said. I'll actually be playing that segment with Barry Spears coming up next. So good luck on Saturday over at Woodbine. And remember, you can get past performances for free with DRF Bets. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hopefully we were able to make you some money at Woodbine and at Parks. Good luck to Barry. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Good luck to Eric playing the NFL games this week. And we'll be back with our next episode recap of Ahsoka coming up in just a few days. We're already up to episode six of our eight episode season one of Ahsoka. And remember, we have recaps of all of those episodes so far Thanks so much, everyone. Hope you have a great, great weekend. Good luck in all your plays.